As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Kia ora ite iwi. Welcome to Toa Tabletop, the new home of the Mud and Blood podcast. How you doing? You good? You all right? Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a um, it's been a bit of a, a rough week here at the studios. Fine. A um, last week was a close contact for somebody that had COVID, um, and then I started getting some symptoms. Got a bit sick. Uh, so had to go and get a test and all that sort of stuff. Thankfully, it was just garden variety cold. Um, and yeah, in the end, I didn't have to worry. But it was a bit sort of disconcerting, if I'm honest. It was a bit of a, a tense time. But hey, got through it. All good. All good. Because of that, because I've been sick this last week, not a hell of a lot got done, really. And, um, and you know, tour tabletop land. Um... Yeah, I, for the next few weeks I'm working from home, which is good. I'll have more time then as a result to uh, work on various projects, um, most importantly line of inquiry, try and get that back on track. Um, have had a significant studio upgrade. This one's for the uh, the audio snobs out there amongst you. I, um, I've bought myself a Shure SM7B. It's a very famous, well-known broadcasting microphone i've been borrowing one for about a month now i really liked it decided to get myself one and i also got myself a um dbx 286s uh preamp and processor it's basically a channel strip just to handle all of my eqs and effects and everything on my vocal um right at the source that way i'm not messing around in the door afterwards this is going to cut my editing time down a wee bit make my life a lot easier and make me sound much more consistent um so yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm pretty happy. I'm still sort of tweaking settings and things like that. So, you know, those of you listening might hear some some changes. Um, but for the most part, yeah, hopefully it'll sound a bit better, a bit clearer, a bit less background noise. Um, yeah, so pretty happy with it. Anyway, what are we here to talk about today? Well, if you haven't already, make sure you listen to the last episode that we did with Jim a couple of weeks ago. Jim came to me with an interesting proposition. His idea was he wanted to come onto the podcast and sort of find out what the podcast's problem is with Dungeons & Dragons. Um, 
long-time listeners will know I am not a fan. <laughs> Neither was Matt, our our old host, co-host as well. Um, and Jim, a long-time listener as he is, has always sort of wondered why. Why? Why? Why not? What's wrong with it? So he proposed coming on and we have a bit of a discussion. Well, two weeks ago, we talked to him about his history of Dungeons and & Dragons and role-playing in general and why he's fallen on and off the Dungeons & Dragons sort of bandwagon over the years. And this time, we're turning the table, and he is interviewing me and asking me, why do I, you know, do I not like Dungeons & Dragons? I'll be honest, I got a bit emotional, uh, and I allowed just my dislike of it to rise, and I wasn't necessarily as articulate or as like well thought out you know, with my critique of it as I'd like, which is easy to do when I'm not three hours into a discussion <laughs> about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but I do spend a lot of time recounting one of my um, more difficult RPG experiences, a Dungeons and Dragons 5e campaign I partook in a few years ago. The only time I've seriously given Dungeons and Dragons a proper go. And it was one of the worst RPG experiences of my life. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that, yeah, like, yeah, I was, I was playing with friends, which salvaged it. You know, the people I was playing with were all good, but the system, ugh. ugh. And um, that's something which Patreon patrons know about, but I'm not sure if general listener base does. So I'm looking forward to hearing, you know, some of you listen to that and let me know what you think. But, um, yeah, look, get comfortable. Normally I'd tell you to get cozy, put your feet up and get a drink, but I'm aware that... um. Most of you listen to this at work or on your commute. So I guess if you're on your commute, you know, put the heater on. <laughs> Make sure you've got your seat in the in a comfortable upright position. And um, yeah, hope you enjoy the show. Welcome everyone to Toa Tabletop. Uh, and yet again... I keep forgetting. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep this in the, in, the, in the episode. I keep forgetting that I'm recording a separate interview. So I sort of welcome people to the show. And they've been welcome two minutes ago, three minutes ago already. So mm. welcome again. Yeah, you know, welcome twice. Welcome three times. Why not? Always Fuck it. Welcome, welcome to, <laughs> to Toa Tabletop. But not just welcome to all you listeners. Also welcome to Jim Davies, friend of the show, friend to me, friend to all. How are you doing, Jim? You're right. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a zone. Uh, and and uh, and feeling good. I'm really excited to talk about what we're about to talk about. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that uh, that we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. For those of you who are listening, if you haven't already, two weeks ago at the time of airing, uh, Jim and I had a discussion around his his history in the hobby and his passions around you know various games types, but specifically Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. um, which is a taboo or in, in Te Rau Māori a tapu topic here <laughs> on uh, on the channel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So today we're going to claw back what fans we lost, and <laughs> we're going to yes, <laughs> we're going to um, critique the game a bit, critique what Jim doesn't like about it, and then also, um, and yeah, try and do this constructively. We're going to offer yeah. some some thoughts about what we think could be done better, but then also I get a chance to 
really articulate my dislike for it because this is something which I'm aware that people who are on our Discord server within our communities, they know a lot of the nuance around thoughts on this. But to our, you know, I'm very aware that we have, you know, several hundred active people on Discord and it's easy to forget that they aren't our entire audience. Sure. There's thousands of you listen to this. (laughs) And a lot of you are probably going to be like, man, that guy doesn't like D&D. I wonder what that's about. Well, today you're going to fucking find out, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But but first, we'll uh, we'll dive into it. So we've already heard everything you love about the game. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. What? What? Go for it. Oh, okay, for yeah. It. This is I, can, right. I can hear an idea ready to burst. That's all right. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that. I can tell. No, I. This, so I'm. I, I'm a longtime fan of the show, right? And mm. as a longtime listener, just kind of pick up on uh, your and Matt's dislike of D and D. To me, like the the, yeah. the the one of the reasons that I like the show is that it doesn't talk. You guys don't talk about D and D. Didn't have it before, mm. and and that it took me pitching it and saying like. Well, what if myself as, as web DM, uh, you know, a brand ambassador, <laughs> you know, uh, coming hat in hand and saying, listen, I would like to talk about, uh, DD, have a conversation with you about it because number one, as a friend, I'm just curious on your experience and your thoughts yes. and your, your, uh, you know, in- encounters with this game, but also mm-hmm. like D and D. If it weren't for D and D, whence these other games, right? Like, mm. there's so much about the rest of the hobby that is like someone playing this game and going, "I can't stand X Y Z about D and D," and making a whole other genre of RPG or something else. Like, if it, the by virtue of the fact that it's just the first commercial RPG, you know, just the first one out there that that made it past the finish line of of publication. Mm it sets the tone and, and, and conversation for so many things. And even like nearly 50 years later, there's some things about the hobby that are still reactions to that, that game as it was published. Uh, and so I, I'm, I was curious to talk about it because to me, it felt like an unspoken subject in a lot of uh, the conversations that uh, you guys have had over the last couple mm. of years. Yeah. And, and I don't want it to be a love, like last week i kind of talking about it as, as from a positive experience, but I, there's plenty of times where I've been like, I hate D and D. I never want to play this game again. It's stupid. Why would anyone like it? Um, you know, like, like last week, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I have a mixed, uh, you know, mixed experience with it as well, but um, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. That's why I pitched it. And yes. uh, here we are. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, Let's let's drill into that then. So, what's what's the most common thing about the game that you genuinely find yourself disliking, or what's the one thing that if if you could change fucking anything about this overall game just to fix it, yeah, what would what would it be? Every all uh, you got uh, character, <laughs> character abilities. Got character abilities. I find <laughs> that um, so I I, I played uh, and or run every edition except for first edition in, advanced. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and most of that within the last few years. I, yes. I wasn't around, despite the gray in my beard was not around at the time uh, <laughs> that D&D was in its first wave of popularity. And yes. for most, like a decade of me playing RPGs, all I knew about D&D was that's the game that is bad because Satan 
for some reason and because it's stupid. Like, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I played GURPS, I played Warhammer, I played Star Wars, I played Vampire. Uh, it took mm-hmm. like, you know. So for me, I what I've noticed is that there's been a, a, a kind of a, a, a design trend over editions of D&D of like giving PCs more and more abilities because yes. like character abilities are where it's at. And, and fifth edition is the most like open about it of like your character is a, a like playing your character is an act of self-expression. Uh, like, you know, that's, I think it's like within the first five pages of the PHP, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like one of the benefits mm-hmm. of it. And so the characters are presented as like, you know, they're just packages of these abilities that in play become buttons that get pushed and yep. not ways to interact with the campaign world. So to use an example would be uh, the fifth edition totem barbarian. Anybody out there who's familiar with it, this is the first off we'll set aside a conversation about barbarian as a class and not a, a uh, culturally loaded term that uh, one group labels another, right? Just yep. going to sit aside, but because DD's full of that, that kind of shit. And, oh, yes. <laughs> right. And like, as, as someone who comes from a quote unquote <laughs> savage barbarian culture. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it indeed it, it does. It's it's full it's full of those things, uh, and 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 like and they've just un, unchanged for for like I said nearly fifty years, and mm-hmm. like to so to, to get back to, to the to what I was saying, like you get these abilities based on whether you're a bear or a eagle or whatever. It's, they're just it's like a, a, a frisbee dish turned upside down, deep, full of flavor. And I'm not here for a sip. I am here for a deep drink of fantasy. I am here for a world that I can pretend I live in for a few hours every week to escape the real one, to deal with all kinds of crazy shenanigans and adventurous mm-hmm. situations, to to start wars and burn bridges and and wreck this campaign setting and have a great time doing it. And I find the, like handed on a silver platter nature of the way the game has become over successive editions to, to really work against that style uh, because there's not an element of less an element of risk uh, yes. in, in, in just the sort of basic games so that to me, that's it. And it, to me, it's, it stems from a desire of the player to go like, well, well, I'm just playing a fighter and on my turn, I roll a dice and it's over in 10 seconds. And then when it's the wizard's turn, like they get to do a cool thing and to me, it like arises from this. Like, first off, like let's examine ourselves as people for just a minute. Like, why are like let's enjoy the thing you're going to you're doing because it's enjoyable. Mm. This is nobody's forcing you to play this game. No one's whatever. Like, I get wanting to play a specific type of character, but the impulse of like, well, the magic users get all the cool stuff and the fighters don't. It's like you clearly have. There's better ways to play a fighter. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, this would tie into other critiques I have of D and D, which is that it does not explain itself very well, but mostly for me, it's like the escalating character abilities, the ability for negative consequences to just be shrugged off for, yeah. for them to have uh, spells and powers and the like that allow them to just effortlessly overcome things or to, for me, it, you know, it becomes like a superhero genre that has Rin fair trappings. And I just, yeah, uh, I, I just, again, I'm not that, that, that to me is probably the, the biggest thing uh, yeah. that, I, that I grates on me. I have thoughts on that. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is going to become a recurring theme. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please. <laughs> I, I, one way to fix that, which a lot of games do, which I really appreciate, is um, you see games, um, you know, particularly, again, in the OSR, we see it um, where, like, um, what's an example? Merkborg. Right, <laughs> Merkborg or uh, uh, Hyper Tellurians is a very good example made by a good friend of mine, Frank. <laughs> um, that we've had, we've had him on the on the show before. Uh, Hyper Tellurians really embodied this idea that instead of having abilities necessarily, although it does have abilities that you sort of win as talents, yeah. Um, a big part of it is also your equipment, and this is like an OSR thing. Your equipment itself should become a part of your character, right? Sure. Whereas yeah. I think in, in D&D, with the exception of some magical items, like the idea of a magic sword plus one, who the fuck cares about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It should be the sword of something or, you know, and, and it, it does a thing and that thing becomes an ability and that creates a character vibe to it. And I feel like D&D has put so much work into classes having these abilities mm-hmm. that that's, that's taken away from this element of, well, what does that mean for you? Like, you know, like what does yeah. your character being able to, you know, like, um, you know, if you're a barbarian of the ancestral guardian, whatever the fuck it's called, yeah, yeah. what does that mean? What does that, that mean? Can, yeah. How did they summon the spirits of their ancestors? How did they do yeah. that? How did they learn to do that? Yeah. It's like, the exactly. did, they, did they track down the great bear spirit starving for weeks? Did they go through yeah. their own spiritual hibernation in order to make yeah. contact with the bear spirit so that they could yeah. take on this? Did they? No, they just got it automatically because they yeah. chose it. And exactly. to me, that's yeah. what really bothers me about it is that there's something, there's a kernel of something really cool there that, (laughs) that to me in older editions, I find it, if you want to level up as a Druid in second edition past 13th level, you've got to find the next highest level Druid and kill them. I remember that. Right. Like that is the coolest (laughs) thing in the world. Right. Like, you know, the, the fact that your magic user is like, no, you, you have to hold these weird, like you got to get an adder's bladder. Do you know what? Where do you find an adder? Are you anywhere near a desert? You know, like, how you can't just walk anywhere and find sulfur, you know, like that material component matters, but for so many players and tables, and this was my experience and, and others I hear about, they're like, well, it's just a hassle, you know, yeah. Hand wave it it away. We don't do encumbrance. No, we don't track material components. And for me, that is where the, the kernel of flavor lies. And I want more of it. Like I, I I want the opposite direction. (laughs) Also it becomes a part of, and this is going to lead to a big, one of my big critiques from a game design perspective of Dungeons and Dragons, specifically the most modern edition <laughs> is all it is, is resource management. <laughs> and these, these abilities that, as you say, lean into these cool ideas, this, this idea of like, cause as you say, like there is, Law baked into the mechanics. Like, what yeah. does it mean that your character can do this? Yeah. But then the system turns around and goes, but you can only do it once a day. Right. Right. Or once per long rest. And in your spells, you can do X amount of times per long rest. Mm. And your hit points will all recover after a long rest unless there's a certain condition in play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it all just becomes, I am managing these resources through 
until my next time I go to sleep. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> it's, and then, not like a, for me, a fun resource management game is like you have X number of gold pieces and have to survive off of it for a number of rounds. Like I was the yes, guy in yeah. the group who's like, okay, <clears throat> you guys don't want to worry about your encumbrance and party fund. I think that's fun. Like yeah, yeah. realizing that we got to bring a donkey to carry everything we need to carry, but to bring that donkey, we have to bring food for it. Which means we need yeah. to bring another donkey. It becomes a problem to solve. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas this is just, mm-hmm. I wake up, I, I wake have up all of this. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then when I go to sleep, I get it back. But in the interim, the GM is going to be putting various, um, sorry, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. The yeah, yeah. DM is going to be putting <laughs> various <laughs> things along my path to soak up yeah. um, these resources in order to create an artificial scarcity yep. so that final encounter is tense. Right. right? It's not rocket tag with you, everybody <laughs> alpha striking their, their best yeah. attack. Yeah, it's been that way for three editions at least. Yeah, <laughs> and I feel like that to me is just fucking boring game design. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like yeah. as someone who, who now designs fucking games, not a hell of a lot, but I do, yeah. that to me is like, fuck, there's so much more you could be doing with that. Um and instead of like you get these spells that have these cool names that kind of imply that there is a lore and a history and a world there but in practice it becomes a thing you can do once a day and it does this thing yeah and they they don't even take like the cool parts of this may turn into an hour and a half of us just griping as well that's (laughs) like they don't even take the cool parts of fancy and magic which like if you read the, the dying earth uh, Tales of a yeah, the demons stories. and shit. Yeah, yeah, they're like cosmic entities that are 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 alive. Like a spell doesn't want to be ink on a page; it wants to be in your mind, about to be released. It's not, yeah. it, you know, it's a thing. And like one of the cool things about the the sort of DIY D and D scene that I love the most is them of people taking that idea and going, okay, well, like on the inside of a wizard's skull are the spells that they would inscribe the most and like their bones and blood or like literally weird wastelands. The fifth edition book we're writing is based on this conceit that the possession of magical power changes you. And so when yeah. you make a golem, when you enchant a sword, when you, whatever that magic stays there and a millennia from now, when it's broken down and leaking into the landscape and mutating things is, you know, like that's going yeah. to be a problem. Like, you know, um, absolutely. Yeah. Because I wanted to take this world seriously, and I find like that D and D presents itself as like this world that's rich with an implied lore, and then at the same time says, "But you don't have to work for it. We don't want this to be a hassle, no. especially in its, in its modern incarnation." And so, no, there is no barrier to you getting the bear totem uh, ability, and then the next time it's eagle, because like, you know, like why commit? You're, you know, like I, I, I would much rather a game where I'm not guaranteed that, and I have to go seek it out. Because it's not it, for me. It's not like I don't want no character. I want. I, I still want character abilities. I want the characters to grow and change and to, to feel fantastic. And I want it to be because they played. They sought it out. They, they, yeah. they, uh, they went looking for it at, or were changed by their experiences and and now are something something else. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I'm, I'm immediately like um, I think of big heroes in mythology, right? Mm-hmm. And. We have Maui in our own culture, who one of the things he did is he went and tricked. Um, there was a goddess that had fire growing out of her nails, 
right, mm. her, her fingernails. And he would go and he would talk to her and get one of her nails to take fire back to people, but he'd go and play with it and shit. Um, and go, he'd fuck around and they, he ended up, he ended up losing them. Yeah, he ended up losing them all until there was only one left and he had to sort of trick it off her and get this fire, which he then took back and gave fire to people. Right? And that's how we, you know, from the mythological sense, that's how we got fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a cool story. That's a story. It's a myth in and of itself. Yeah. If Maui were a D&D character, he'd have leveled up and then we all got fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, there's, there's no, like, and there will be people listening to this right now, I know, who'll be going, well, no, because that story would have been the story that happened leading up to that level up. Sure, yeah. except for that's not often what the reality of it is. Like, you'll yeah. level up is associated with your class, which often isn't associated with the story that you're doing, unless you have a very attentive GM who's running adventures for each of you individually that the rest of the party comes along with, and you take turns leveling up, which could be an interesting campaign premise, but that's not the reality of how this stuff's played. Yeah, yeah, that that's very that's a that's that's very second edition kind of thing. Second edition had individualized experience tables for like Yes. Different yeah. classes, right? And and again, it's one of those things where I, I you, you look at that and you go, Wow, okay, so if I'm playing a, a priest, if I like a whether they're a specialty priest or a cleric or whatever, like like converting people for some reason. Oh wait, no, never mind, there is a reason. It's Christianity. Um <laughs> D's Christian as shit. Uh, yep. it just is. It's um, even, it's, like, it's poly it's polytheisms. It's uh, very right. much it's very yep. much yeah. <laughs> yeah we I discussed I just, that in our last uh, last interviews. It bugs the shit out of me. Uh, it just does. Um as a historian, uh, it does. And so like uh yeah, but it, the, at the same time like it would mean that if you're playing a cleric, like you're, you're blessing shrines, you're seeking out the relics uh, and bringing them back. You're, you're, you know, fighting the true enemies of your faith, like the undead horrors that are there to predate on, on uh, the mortal yeah. uh, peoples. And like, that's what you get. And like the fighter is going to get a little extra experience for fighting uh, because they're a fighter. Everybody gets a little experience for fighting, but to me that created a situation where it's like, well, the thief only gets experience when they're by themselves. And mm-hmm. like the wizard only gets experience when they're back home in their tower researching, like, and that's a, a game called Ars Magica. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I, it's almost incentivizing you to not play the game. Yeah. It almost incentivizes yeah. you to not play the game. It, to me, like D and D works best when you're digging in, into dark, dark holes and f- fighting the monsters that are there. Not, not like as a primary thing but like it's the treasure hunting it's the exploring it's mm. the venturing into unknown fantastic places that i think makes D work i also think it does a terrible job of explaining that and and tell yes. and giving dms the tools they need to run it um and sells a very different game uh, <laughs> personally it does yeah <laughs> absolutely so I'm curious about your personal experience then, because we've got kind of like a big, our, you know, our, our big uh, uh, gripe out of the way a bit. Um, but like, what, where did, how did you experience D and D, and like, what what was it to you? Because you're, I mean, you're not a D and D player. And, no. Yeah. 
No, I started playing RPGs back when I was seven, and it was with RuneQuest. Although, to be fair, I was playing in a group of adults. Um, yeah. My stepfather was running the game, so and then they'd have to stop halfway through so he could drive me home and drop me off for bedtime, right? <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, especially RuneQuest. Like, it's a RuneQuest second and third edition is complex. Yeah. Um, I was rolling dice and I was told what to roll, but I did that for years. So I was really just playing make-believe with miniatures and dice, which, to be honest is in my opinion exactly what we should all be doing anyway yeah yeah the um, same yeah that's what i did last yeah. time i played too <laughs> yeah i wasn't i wasn't engaging with the system at all i was i was playing the world right yeah um and then from there played a bit of star wars bit of bit of warhammer and then one big thing this is where i first got my taste of dnd is I, i've spoken about it a few times on the podcast now um when that fella uh, and my mother split up. Mum went a bit hippie. We moved into a house truck, started traveling around the country. And I had to make new friends fast. Um, and we were sitting around with not much to do because you're in the middle of nowhere. You don't have power in a house truck, really. So yeah. there's no playing PlayStation and none of that other shit that everyone else was doing. And I remember saying, well, I used to do this thing. I used to play with miniatures and I only have a few miniatures. I don't have enough for a battle, but I used to play with miniatures and I used to play these role play games. And then me and all my friends just sort of got into it, but I didn't have yeah. any role play games to run. I used to play all of his. So I used a couple of the army books I had. I used to make shit up. And then what we started doing, and one of the people I did this with is in my role play group today. Like here we are still, <laughs> you know, fucking over 20 years later, still doing this stuff. Um, yeah. But um, we started because we couldn't. We didn't have any money. Like so, every time we're in a new town that had a secondhand bookshop or something, we'd go in there and we'd go looking for stuff we could use in our role play games. And if it was a role play book, even better, right? <laughs> like that's yeah. what it was yeah, like. Yeah. And we eventually ended up with a beaten up half, like bits missing, red box, mm. um, and the second edition AD and D players book but nothing else um, yep. from D&D and a whole bunch of other shit as well. Like I used to really lean on like, um, this is in like the early 2000s, late 90s. So I was leaning on my games workshop skirmish games like um, Gorka Morka and stuff like that mm. for their long-term campaign stuff like healing from injuries and things. I used to lean oh, yeah, on that yeah. heavily. Necromunda had some cool tables. Yeah. Turned it almost to a mini game between screens. Exactly. It was cool. Yeah. yeah. So Warhammer I was leaning Quest on that shit. a similar thing. I don't know if you uh, played that. Yes. Yep, 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 yep. was, yep. I was leaning into all of that and then we had like a traveler box managed to get a box of top secret like a lot of the old TSR shit Mm -hmm. Um, and we also had a whole because at the time it was popular a whole bunch of stuff from World of Darkness and um, until I eventually got the first edition Warhammer paperback and that was the first time I had a complete system that we could properly play but before then we were just making shit up rulings over rules and like, I don't think I ever actually read that second edition player's handbook from front to finish, but yeah. I used to read chunks of it a lot. To this day, to this day, there's a piece of art in it that really stood out where it's a party standing around this tiny little dragon and they're holding it yeah, up and there's a little chest under it. Yeah. That piece of art's always stuck out to me. And also, reading the one. description of the Felchian. I remember uh-huh. being like, I want a Felshian because clearly this is the the gangster sword of the lot because it, it did cool damage and shit like that. Yeah. I had no idea what it looked like. They didn't show you in the fucking book. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> you were expected, like expected to have known your way around a library to Oakshot's Armor and Art uh, published <laughs> in 1956. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was my yeah. early uses of D&D, especially the red, the red box, which I still have uh-huh. the books from. Um um, I love that that picture of the dragon, the party around the dragon. A lot of people sort of like it's a very scrawny looking dragon, 
This, but yeah. I think like that, number one, if you've ever seen pictures of medieval dragons, they're tiny as shit. Like they're smaller yep. than horses <laughs> a yep. lot of times. And I still think those dragons are dangerous. If you were in a tunnel and it was like you had four feet of clearance and that thing's coming at you, that thing's going to eat you for lunch. You know? Especially if it can breathe fire, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. If it can breathe fire, you're toast. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so like, what are you doing in a dark hole in armor anyway? What in the world are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> so like um, using that stuff, we used to improvise games for hours and that was like my first taste of D&D. Yeah. And then I got Warhammer First Edition I actually went away. I joined the military, didn't play role play games for a few years, came back um, because the military, at least when I was in it, insanely toxically masculine. There was no nerd shit. We were out getting oh, really? drunk, chasing women, <laughs> like, you know, all that sort of stuff. We weren't doing any of that. It's not, see, in America, it's like a, a, an army base game. Like D&D &D yeah. and like army kids were always sort of connected in my mind. Uh, I'm willing to bet it's yeah. different now. Um, yeah, I bet so. Yeah. And I'm also willing to bet it was different in what we call, like we in the military call them pogues, which means people other than grunts. I'm mm. willing I'm willing to bet that for pogues, it's a thing. But for grunts, mm. especially because yeah. I was in reconnaissance, there's like a, a degree of toxic masculinity. We're the jocks of the, of the military, yeah, yeah. right? I can see that. Um, and to be frank, you kind of need, you need to believe you're, you're the biggest, baddest dick on the fucking, in the world to go out sure. and do that job. Yeah, yeah. The kind of task <laughs> you're given, you don't like, yeah. should we, I don't know, how should we approach this if it was a game? Yeah. <laughs> That's for the cooks back yeah. behind the lines. So, um, so I, I didn't, I didn't do any of that stuff for a while. And then when I got out, I, um, I found myself wanting to do that. Like I was a student, I was broke ass. Um, mm. I was in a new town making new friends. Uh, none of them were into nerd stuff. And I found myself wanting to scratch that itch and I couldn't afford a computer good enough to play computer games, which was probably a good thing. So um, <laughs> so I went on to forums and I found a forum where you could play by post Warhammer. Mm. And I still had my book of Warhammer First Edition Roleplay. Went on there and that's how I met Sean, who GM's carrying company, and I've been playing with him ever since. Um, and when that happened, I went right down my D100 snobbery didn't touch mm. Dungeons and Dragons until about five years ago yeah. where I was asked to be a player on a stream um, on a, for a streamer who's quite big. I won't name them because he's still a good friend of mine his girlfriend. Um, I'm hoping they're not listening to this. I'm pretty confident they won't, but I, I do worry that my talking, if they see a title of me talking about D and D, they might click on it. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. if you are listening to this, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I got invited to go on their stream and play in this um, game. Mm. And um, it was Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. The first time I'd ever looked at fifth edition. Um, luckily it was on roll 20. So the rules were all on there. They had the roll 20 version of the system. So yeah, I could go on there and figure it out. And the character sheet did all the actual work for me. So that, that really helped. I didn't need to actually internalize the mechanics. Uh -huh. Um, but, uh, I went on there and to, to put it like it was, I've been on a lot of RPG streams at this point. Uh -huh. And I will say the amount of people that were watching that stream dwarfs anything I ever did with encounter role play or anything like that. Yeah. We're talking, we're talking a quiet day being 500 people and a busy day being 2000. Right. Because it was a big stream channel that was like a variety streamer as, sure, opposed, yeah, yeah. To, yeah. as opposed to a specific sort of RPG stream. So we had a big audience. A lot of them, they were, they knew all about D and D, and they were happy to tell me what we were getting wrong. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, and on top of that, it ended up being 
the worst uh, campaign I've been in. Mm. Like my my worst RPG ex- experience for a extended period of time. I've definitely had one off, so I'm like, this is shit. I'm out. But for yeah, like yeah. a proper turning up and playing weekly for like six months, um, being like, nah. Um, and it was, it was for a combination of things, like a big combination of things. Um, it wasn't just the system. I'm not going to blame the system. It was a mixture of sure, yeah, player yeah. attitudes and stuff like that. All but kinds of stuff. the the D and D play culture that was enshrined in that didn't help at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people turning up in chat who were heavily engrossed in that play culture was a part yeah. of it. One thing that really grinded my gears, I've never been a fan of optimization in games. I've never been a fan of power gaming, of building a a build or anything like that. I was playing with people who did. And what that meant is if you didn't engage in that, you often felt like you were just in the background while they were having their heroic moment after heroic moment after heroic moment because they had combined the right feet with the right ability mm. with the right class. And they were using like a, um, unearthed Arcana sort of, um, it was like a Polex oh, yeah. build fighter or something. So they were like locking down hallways and you were just standing back and anyone that came within 10 feet of them, they'd get an instant attack against and all this sort of bullshit. Yeah. And that, that's only the first time I played first and only time I played riffs. Yeah. Uh, it was like, I played just a dude and there was like, this, my guy's a werewolf in a mech suit and the other guy, I'm an ice wizard and a jet fighter. And it's like, I'm just a guy. <laughs> yeah. Gun. Like, yeah. I don't want to play with you guys again. <laughs> yeah, I, similar I, I started off turning up with a character that was very similar to the character I played in um, the dark eye. So mm-hmm. I deliberately was like, I'm going to try and play a Maori warrior in this game. So naturally that meant I was playing a barbarian and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in this game and I realized that like like it like everyone else, I I I was just trying to make a thematic character and everyone else had fucking like power yeah. games they fucking they had like made their their mad perfect builds they'd gone online to like where there was like forums full of builds and they'd they'd yeah. chosen the right stuff and they were like you know synergizing their abilities and shit and I'm sitting there being like I just want to like do a hucker and smack someone with my tire huh man i don't want to yeah <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. But just the, the optimization just just to me sucks the joy out of the game yeah but my brain just eats it up like mm. so it, for me it's very much a i know that i will go go very deep into this uh and so i have to keep it at a distance because <laughs> I, I would i want to still enjoy this later <laughs> you know what ended up happening for me is like that character died by level three um, mm. We actually had an almost total party kill because a big, a big one of the complaints I used to have is that compared to the games I was playing, like Call of Cthulhu and Warhammer, and this is something I see to the GM a lot. Is in my opinion, D and D is like a kids' gloves on game in comparison to something like Warhammer, where Certainly. you can yeah. die very easily. Not for the first three levels, granted, but after, once by the time you hit level five, mm-hmm. if you're dying, you've gone fucked up. Right? Certainly, the current edition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, and I when I said that to her, she took it as a challenge. So she made like a very adversarial, deadly D and D campaign, um, yeah, and set out to to kill our characters. And that happened a lot. We had several party wipes in the course of this campaign, mm. um, and we were playing. It was the Chult expansion. Um, yeah, yeah. Tomb of whatever it was. Tomb uh, annihilation. One. That's yeah. the one. That's we were a playing, grind fest. Yeah. So we're playing that, right? Mm. <laughs> 
Mm. <laughs> like, I was it had just come out. It was just out. It was fresh content. Everyone wanted to see it. We were playing yeah. it, and I fucking hated it. I had three characters over the course of the campaign. I genuinely really liked the characters I come up with. I genuinely liked the characters, and for the second two, I came up with the concept, and then I went online and found people who had made power builds of those themes. It was the only way yeah. I could compete in the game and make it work. Um, yeah. But, like, it was so... Like I said, this wasn't all D&D's fault. There was a lot of adversarial GMing, adversarial players, things like that. There was mm. things going on that just wasn't working. The role play parts of it were all good, but then there was like a a, a definite line from the role play has finished, now roll for initiative. Right, um, yes. yeah. And that was enhanced because we were using VTTs, we were using miniatures and grids. And so suddenly, like, you know, I distinctly remember one thing. We were following these people who were like an alter, like another party that we'd had some issues with. They were, we were both seeking the same thing. Mm. And, we were, and our, our, instead of us trying to find it before them, our whole strategy was we're going to follow them until they find it. And mm. they knew we were following them. So we had this antagonistic, almost friendly banter going on whilst we spent two days trekking across the wilderness to find the thing that we were looking for. And then... And like it was, it felt like we were like sort of yarning, and, and and like there was a bit of like yeah, we weren't on the same side, but we were off the same purpose sort of thing, and all of this. And then suddenly, a new battle map is put up, and our characters are put down, and all of yeah. the other players who are all long term D and D players. I was the only non D and D player in the group. All of them start being like, right, I'm now stealthing through here. I'm doing this. I'm like. Up until now, we've been riding behind these guys openly, yarning with them and joking with them and ribbing them and teasing them, and suddenly we're here to fight them? Like, what the fuck? And that carried on. And again, this isn't specific to D&D, but, like, it was tied into, like, a certain kind of, like, play culture, which I think D&D is prone to, where mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to... Yeah. Yeah make power builds, we're going to move around maps and we're going to fucking fight like it's a miniature game and then occasionally we're going to roleplay some shit over here because the system, 80% of the system is how do we hit a thing, how do we kill a thing. When we level yep. up, we get better at killing things and it was yep. this whole... That's what other powers are related to. Yep. 100%, yep. Like you only yeah. got better at killing things. You didn't get better at... Like the only way you got better at doing stuff that wasn't killing things was if you unlocked a spell that let you charm someone or whatever, right? <laughs> So right, like, yeah, in the in the weakest, most flavorless way possible. Yeah. <laughs> so like that fucking scorched the earth for me. I already yeah. had a shit opinion of the game. I was already like, no, don't like it. And then I had a bad experience for six months, mm. and that mm. really put me off. <laughs> Is that, because was that we, I ran fifth edition for you at some point? Yes. Yeah, that was after. That was afterwards. Point? That was after yeah. that. Well, I'm, bless you. That. <laughs> Gameplay. Yeah, because I, I I got to play like a spore druid with you. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I run D and D very differently than than a lot of people. And to me, uh, it, it's that moment that you're talking about where there's two games going on. There's the not combat and the combat. Yeah. And I was to me like, why are we doing? What's what's with all this separate? Yeah. Separateness here, and it, it's very much a, a thing that D and D I think is reinforced over the additions of. You know, so that when people say like, well, D&D is a game about fighting monsters, it is it, at one point it was like, well, that's not true. But at this point, it's like, oh, all right. OK, that's true. Yeah. yeah. It, you have to fight to make it something other than. And, and it's a shame because, um, you know, when when it's when it's uh, less uh, less focused, I think it's a better game. 
Yeah. You could just, when there's more ways to earn XP is like when it comes with brass tacks, when there's more ways to earn XP than just killing monsters, it's a better game. And, 100%. And, uh, yeah. And like, if you play, if you play rules as written, um, which everyone knows, like this is, this is a straw man argument for me because I'm not a believer in, in, in playing rules mm-hmm. as written, but if you do, it is absolutely encouraging you to sort of, yeah, to play a certain way and like, and like it's a pushing you towards almost war as sports, like balanced encounters. That's what the CR is yeah. there for. And um, like, I, 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 yeah, you know, you finish a fight and then I, like, I remember finding it really weird that we have this fight. It's quite nasty. Characters have almost died. And then as soon as we finished, one of the characters is like, right, I'm taking a short rest and this starts rolling like automatically because this, yeah. this is a, this is in the rules. I'm allowed to do this. You can't stop me. I'm going to quickly regain some hit points by taking a short rest and all this sort of thing. And it was like, I felt more like I was playing a board game than I did like I was playing a role play. And it felt distinct yeah. from the two. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, that is a distinct play culture within, within D and D that I've, that I've brushed up against many times. I've had players who, who kind of have that, that mode. And there are times where just like, hold up, hold up. We, this is what just happened in in the fiction of it, where we yeah. will get to the part where you get to roll your your things in a minute. But um, I, I I think a lot of it is like it's it's easy. It's sort of path of least resistance. Um, yeah, you know, even like my comment about the only way to earn XP is through killing monsters. It's not it's it's not they're, they're, the the rules as written have a variety of ways that say you can earn XP, but only provides one chart. <laughs> for how to like, you know what I mean? It's like, Oh, they could earn XP for all these other things, but then they just give you a chart on how to calculate it from, uh, from combat. So you, a DM is left with very little actual practical tools, especially in the current edition to play D and D any other way than a yeah. monster fighting game, which is just like how, how, how that that's can't be that fun for that long. No, it's not. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I think a part of it is because D and D is the first, you got to remember, right? Like for, for nine out of 10 people, D&D is their first game. That's mm. the one telling them this is how you play the game. So if, you, as you say, you take that path of least resistance, I, th- I, th- I personally feel like you're learning a game style that isn't necessarily the best parts of roleplay. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I feel like it's it's creating a expectation that doesn't really align with what I personally enjoy about RPGs. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a is a very mechanics forward perspective on on gaming, and and, and I had a, a curious uh, example of me about introducing a couple of uh, new players, just like completely new to RPGs. Period. Uh, to Dungeons and Dragons, and one of them really taking to the mechanics of it and seeing how they could fit with the narrative mm. to create this this character and. And like the, the second time we played, she was like, I came up with my own custom class. Is that okay? <laughs> and I was like, absolutely. <laughs> like, you yeah. know. And whereas with the other new player, I was like, okay, we need to take away your character sheet. And we just need to think, let's just, we're just going to retrain your imagination to like, think about this character that you're creating and who they are and what they do. And like, if we need to, when it comes time, this, you have this D20 and then here's this other D20. Sometimes you roll one of them. Sometimes you roll two of them. That's it. Like, because all the different kinds of dice, the, the character sheet that looks like a tax form, mm. the, the very mechanistic language of the class stuff was just, she was like, why would you do this? How, what is the fun of any of this? And I was yeah. like, that's for later. 
let's just play the game, which we don't need rules to play necessarily. We need some structure, um, uh, which, you know, I'll go off on a big tangent between that. But like I found it, it, it one of those moments of, of someone being able to clearly see how they could use these, this very technical language to get to the fantasy and another who really struggled with it. And, and it took us going like, let's just pretend, play pretend for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was, I already disliked the ND before then. And I gave, <laughs> I gave it a go for the sake of a friend. And then yeah, that really uh, was, was hammer, you know, nail meat coffin. Um, it was like, and I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I, could, I can certainly see that. And like the, 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 the power dynamics of it, like there was, as I said, in Chult, there was things that at level one I was terrified of that by uh-huh. level five I didn't give a fuck about. But we're still in the same, like, yeah, we'd gone out to the wilderness a few times, but we're still in the same town. I'm interacting with the same people, and it was, mm-hmm. wasn't was resonating for me, right? Like it, it didn't yeah. feel believable. Um, it, it's a, it, to me, the it's a theme, it's kind of a, it's like a theme park kind of experience of, of yeah. You know, Dean, it used to take a long time to get that level, and now it comes very quickly. Yes. And so it does lead to this weird feeling of like, well, wait a minute, last week these were dangerous creatures, and now I'm just... It, which, to me, only highlights the weirdness of things like hit points. Yes. And the yeah. other abstractions that D&D relies on to just be a functional game, when you're like, well, last week I, this thing killed me, and this one spell brought me back from zero to full, and now the next week this thing barely touched me and it takes three of these spells to bring me back. To like, yes, yeah. what does that mean for my character? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, the whole, like, cause one of my, one of my favorite characters I've ever played was in that game. I played a guy who in hindsight was quite, um, not the most, um, sensitive character I've ever played. His name was Duke Masala. It was based heavily on like Baron Semedy, right? He was mm. a um, warlock um, of the tome. Is that the one with the books? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I played him as like this crazy hermit that had been left alone in the jungle for a long time. And he um, had this book where he was talking to like the, uh, uh, his patron was the Raven Queen whatever the goddess yeah, of the deep. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was like some crazy dude that would been, that he called, he, he introduced himself to one of the other, cause we'd be both, our characters died at the same time. And then our two characters had to be introduced to the party out in the middle of nowhere. So this other character mm. was a Triton. Is that right? The fish guys. Yeah. He yep. was a Triton Lord who emerged out of the water for the first time. I walked upon land. And the first person he met was my character, Baron, um, Duke Masala, who introduced himself as the Lord of all these lands. And the guy took mm-hmm. him on face value, but the, he was kind of the Lord because he was a hermit living in the jungle on his own. So in his mind, I'm the <laughs> yeah, Lord of I mean, all of this. And the guy assumed, well, I found royalty. The two of us could roll together now. So it was like this weird combo of this, this Triton Paladin and my crazy death worshipping sort of um guy who used to talk and act a lot like rafiki from lion king like i said it wasn't the most um (laughs) i wouldn't play that character today but he was very memorable he had a lot of a lot of fun with him at the time and um and then because i had a better grasp of how the rules worked I was able to, being a warlock, he was a glass cannon, right? His Eldritch Blast was mm-hmm. amazing and shit. And we, this was a party that regularly came to blows, right? 
Yeah. And everyone, when when it was going that way, when we're starting to get antagonistic, because it was a big, there's like seven players or something. It was too big, especially for a stream. Um, When it was going that way, people would be constantly trying to sway Duke onto their side because if it was going to come to blows, we don't want to be on the receiving end of him. And I was playing him as insane. Like the guy was nuts. That was the whole idea Uh is that he was like, he had a voice in his head, which he was listening to (laughs) that voice. One of those voices was the Raven queen, but the rest of them, like he had um, bite bite, which was his pet snake. And he had Brown Brown, which was like a a desiccated head he'd found in the jungle and all this sort of stuff. And he would talk to them all the time to get their opinions. So people were trying to convince him that, these things wanted them to do stuff. And then occasionally one of the voices, which was the Raven Queen, would tell him to do something and he'd do it. He'd listen to her every he'd time. Do it, yeah. He was afraid of her. <laughs> so he was a lot of fun as a character. Um, but like this this yeah, this weird duopoly of this amusing and fun character that would then become I'd play him as this crazy sort of hermit guy, sort of hunched walking around and talking funny and stuff like that and then combat comes and suddenly he's throwing out three eldritch blasts just slaughtering people right yeah hyper rational very yeah uh, tactical minded yeah and then i really do think dd has has become like a snake eating its own tail in which that game that combat skirmish game is is so central to so many people's experience of it especially like people that came on like third edition and later Mm. um that it's hard to get get past that but for me, like I, there's, I don't know the, the centrality of combat and the fact that it takes so long that there are, uh, you know, that, that, you know, you have players who are like writing off the game because they, they, you know, someone passed a saving throw against their spell and they're upset because like, it's going to be 20 minutes before they get to do anything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah. they're just like mad about that. And it's also like, well, to me, this is one of those things where it's like, well, if everybody didn't have so many powers, this thing would flow a lot faster. Absolutely. Yeah. Number one. Uh, yes. But also like the, the game, uh, you know, used to have some pretty nasty magic and nasty uh, abilities in it, but they got removed because players didn't like them. So there's this sort of, yeah, I, I've, I've, I found with it is this, a game that's tried to appease a certain type of the player base uh, who often tend to be pretty vocal, but they've also created a game that is like, well, what is this thing anymore? Like, is this about exploring a fantastic world and having adventures or yeah. is it just to get us to the initiative role? Yes. Um, yeah. Cause like for me, like I play Pendragon and I'm going on three years of Pendragon and I, there are, I have had, more meaningful combat, you know, situations in there, which, which is just D 20 roll off, you know, yeah. it's just combat is simple, quick and ultra deadly, but there have been ones that it's just, I'm on the edge of my seat. And, and yet we, we've had maybe a 10th of the amount of combats you'd have in a D and T game. Yeah. The same thing with like Warhammer, right? Yeah. Like there are times in playing Warhammer where it's like, I am so tense from this that like, Afterwards, I need to just lay down because I've <laughs> been holding all of this, especially if I'm running, right? Yeah. Like holding all of this in. And it really, it, it's very rare that that happens in D&D. And I find it's because this, it's a game that the players are fundamentally meant to win because yeah. it makes them feel good. It would, yes. it would not sell as well if, if it was hard. And also if you <laughs> remove a lot of that stuff as well, if you remove a lot of that stuff that I don't, that I'm complaining about, 
you're, yeah. you're starting to remove like core system uh, parts of the game. The game mm-hmm. clearly mm-hmm. wants you to play at least partially that way. Otherwise it wouldn't, they dedicate so much page space to it. So it's like yeah. this weird thing where you find people saying, oh, we play a, a good society game in our D&D and we haven't had a combat in six months. It's like, well, then you're not playing D&D. You're not playing the system. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a balance, right? Like there's system matters and it doesn't. It, there's yeah. a, a, a point where like you don't need to be rolling dice and playing the system to be enjoying this thing you're playing the world but at the same time like even even the most hardcore of the fkr people are like well we still have rules for things we think we need rules for yes yeah (laughs) you know we're still rolling dice there's still and like as i understand it there's there's potentially quite complex rules if the situation calls for that complexity and it supports the game yeah right like and so i i find like that it's not rules that i'm averse to it's the, their expression and the play experience it creates because like as someone who loves D&D I find it very difficult to start world building and running the current edition in the way that I'd prefer to because at some point I'm fighting so hard against just this, the way that it's you know play as written yeah uh, that it's like I just would be rather I'd rather be playing something else yeah um, so I do. That's how, that's how it goes sometimes. <laughs> you also touched on another thing which bugs me about this whole idea that ultimately the players will win, um, and it feels like a feel-good fantasy. But this is a very mm-hmm. this is very sub- subjective at this point, right? This is sure. And, and, and anyone yeah. who's listening to this knows you're listening to you know a channel with a history of being about gritty games. But fuck, like I know you can play D and D in a gritty way, but I feel like the system doesn't want you to. You know, yeah. like put it this way, when yeah. I had Duke Masala, he was the best friend of everybody in Chult because he could cast that tiny hut spell and suddenly uh-huh. the jungle was pointless. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and his background meant that he could gather rations for, you know, so many people a day. And the GM house ruled it so he could only gather rations for himself. But still, here's my character who, like, and the way we just, we, justified it in the game was that well how else would a hermit survive in a deadly jungle of course he can cast hut and of course he can survive right fair enough yeah Mm. but at that point we're having a hex crawl again across a supposedly deadly jungle and the only thing deadly about it was the random encounters right like it was Mm -hmm. at that point why are we bothering (laughs) with half of this like (laughs) yeah yeah they yes they're it, it that's i think that's to me, the the heart of my what I would say is is my critique of of the current iteration of D anD D, especially, is like, is that it promises one thing. It says we've got this adventure game. It's 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 about exploring these weird and wonderful fantasy worlds. Yeah. And and then it puts things in the rules as player options, and and they're not even like you've got to go online to look for them. They're like the options you would pick for the kind of character you're making, that then completely undermine the the that element of gameplay it would be like okay well i chose to make a fighter and then the dm telling you like okay well we're never going to have a fight again because you're a fighter so that means that you're going to win every fight exactly yes yeah and and that's especially when you think about it like from an exploration point of view which like i'm literally about to turn the the last chapter of our fifth edition book which we built an exploration pillar for which was like I want like when I play something like a ranger or an outdoorsman or, or, or some, you know, survivalist type, the kind of situations I want to be presented with are the kind of situations where this is 
this character struggle against the environment. Mm. And, and D&D has the opportunity pr- to present these fantastic environments that aren't just jungles. This is a jungle filled with undead dinosaurs that vomit zombies all over you and yeah. man-eating plants. Like, it should be amazing and, and filled with all these wonderful things. And you're, the fact that you're playing a character who survived in it and, you know, the class and background aside, like, your character knows this jungle, the, the situations would be like, well, okay, well, we've got two options. We can take this path, which would lead us down this, you know, part of the jungle, and these are the dangers there, and then this other path that has these particular dangers, and these are the costs and the trade-off. And, you know, like, when was the last time it mattered where you slept in d d or yep. what the weather was like? And, and yet those are part of adventure fiction. They're part of what I think is exciting about the idea of, trekking across a magical jungle to find a yeah. tomb of a dead lich god. Thing, yep. You know, like, you don't have to sell me on that. That sounds awesome. Why make it boring? Yeah. We had <laughs> we had an encounter with the, the undead dinosaur vomiting zombies. Yeah. Um, it was actually a really interesting encounter. Like, start off with, like, we're in the middle of a stampede. Like, what the fuck's going on? There's a stampede. And then this, this dinosaur turns up, and, you know, it's vomiting zombies and all of that. And... We ended up, it's interesting. So one of the other players was really in character and ran away from the stampede. Now, we had a character death in this encounter. Do you think it was the the, the, the stampede of things running through the jungle that ran them over? Or do you think it was the big T-Rex zombie throwing up zombies that would swarm you after they're throwing up? No, it was because to get away from the stampede, he was running towards a cliff where he tripped and fell off the cliff. And then the GM, to try and prove that this game was deadly, house ruled falling damage, and he died from falling off the cliff. Oh. You know what I mean? What a way to go. Like, what a way to go. <laughs> Something they should just walk away from. Yeah. <laughs> a bad fall. Yeah. <laughs> Whilst the rest of the party who decided to confront the the right. zombie vomiting T-Rex were fine. Yeah, they stood and fight. They fought. Yeah. They got yeah. hurt quite badly in one case, but then they had a sleep and they were fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, they, was, now they're fine. Yeah, yeah old, old Tim over it? here who who reacted in character fell off a fucking cliff and died. And yeah, like, yeah, what? yeah. It, 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 you will get. There are certain. There's a certain place where you'll get you'll get punished for not playing the game of the rules of D and D. Yeah, and like when initiative is rolled, when the monsters are on the battle map, that's like it's the fight time. And I personally like from the minute I started running D and D I've never run it that way yeah. and have, have had players who've, who've kind of like bucked against that and be like, listen, that's not how this works. Like the, the rules say, I get to say how it goes. So yeah. That's not how I'm doing it. <laughs> I, I do sort of like, I can understand where, cause I remember at the time being very upset about the whole, you know, min maxing and power building and all this mm. sort of stuff. And I brought it up and people are like, well, the system lets us. We're not breaking any rules. So, yeah. And it's like, okay, fair enough, right? Yeah, I guess you have been given this permission, but and then like the GM wasn't countering it at all. So the there was, you know, the core. And this is again, I'm not necessarily blaming D and D for this at all. But mm-hmm. the, the core sort of, you know, the social contract didn't disallow it, so it happened. And then a play style which the book 
doesn't necessarily actively encourage, but certainly allows. And I think this is. Yeah. I think this comes to the crux of one of my issues with D and D. Right, it's trying to be everything for everybody, and in the process, mm-hmm. it's allowing that kind of game style to be just as valid as a role play first. You know, where combat is war and all that sort of thing. Yep. Um, and and it doesn't give you. I haven't read the DMG to be fair. I I, um, yeah. I don't own the current edition and stuff. But mm-hmm. my understanding of it is it doesn't give you a hell of a lot of guidance on how to choose the kind of game you want to play and and how to play in a certain way that isn't. It's just like D and D's everything for everybody, right? Like it's yeah, yeah, yeah the, Those rules are buried in chapter eight and are are aren't are called out explicitly as such as as that's being for that so there's like rules for npc interaction how to sway an npc or whatever but you know most of it is just like they people see a table they know that dc 20 is the best you can get yeah and oh it's a 20 that's might as well be mind control and if you actually read it there's a lot of solid advice that's like the npcs may or may not accede to things you might have to get in earn their favor this could take a long time but like i said it's 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 not like the first chapter of the DMG, uh, how to run the game. Uh, yeah. it's, it's buried way in the back of, of a book people famously do not read. Yeah. Um, so there, there is some, but most of the support for those kinds of things in fifth edition are scattered, inconsistent, and buried. Yeah. So like if you want all the rules for how to do a hex crawl in 5e, you need like three or four different books. And really, depending on which adventure you're running, the rules might work differently. And um yeah, it's it's just it's not very uh, it's not very well supported, and I think like that is part of that thing that you're identifying of it's trying to be all things to all people, which is like you can do these things, you can run a a you know resource management style hex crawl if you want, you can run a intrigue heavy, we only fight every few weeks you know game if you want, but the the rules of it don't really um, support it very much. And the kinds of things that they do include really lean the game towards this monster fighting with these avatars that are sort of like self-expression and, you know, you're, you know, everybody's character's cool yeah you know, everybody's got a cool character <laughs> yeah that's that's a personal sort of a subjective pet hate of mine too i, I fucking yeah, i grew up yeah. playing warhammer i like playing fucking miserable pieces of shit like i don't right yes <laughs> so i can identify with exactly that. the world like exactly 100 percent. i like because for, for me personally this is something which long-time listeners know as well i play for catharsis right like i want to be put up yeah. against it i want to go through the ring i want to have a hard time i'm not here for heroic escapism or anything like that that's yeah, yeah. not why i sign up to play games so and D on the other hand embodies that and embodies yes turn up yeah. like, sells itself be the hero that you don't have to be at home and i couldn't think mm-hmm. of anything more fucking boring <laughs> yeah, there, there's a picture in in one of the new books of like of like uh, Waterdeep, which is the city yeah. in Forgotten Realms. It's like the magic city, you know. And it's like child, three children. They're watching something like a parade or something go by, and they've all got like wooden swords and wooden shields, and they're all dressed up playing pretend like adventures. And and like there's just something about that image where I'm like, on the one hand, I I get it, like so, you know. But also it's like, like they're going to get killed. Like, why are their parents letting them do that? Yeah. <laughs> like why, you know, this there's outside the, outside of those walls where the walking 
fifty foot tall stone golems protect you. It's a dangerous world, kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think D and D sells it as like this, like it's a it's happy fun time because it's wonderful. You're playing yeah. with your friends. It's it's fun. It's you know they want to sell it at Target and other places. And you know, you know like I guess I, that old a lot of times that's my answer to things is like D and D is uh, it's it's the part of the business model of D and D. Yeah, is how it, the game has become. That that drives me to another gripe, which I think feeds into mm. this problem, right? So this is very topical, actually, because as of yesterday, um, Doctor Who and Daleks was announced by Cubicle 7. It's a, oh, it's a 5e <laughs> Doctor Who game, right? I did not know yeah. this. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. um, as you can imagine, Twitter is blown up over it. They're unhappy. They, they sure, like, yeah. At the moment, and this is the thing, to be <laughs> as much as I dislike D&D, I do get kind. I kind of feel sorry for anyone involved in that whole scene because Twitter hates you. And, <laughs> and fuck yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> like, that's so like, so like on there watching Twitter this dunk on Cubicle Seven to the point where one of the oh, the lead designers had to come out and say, "Just remember, there's real people behind all of this," and everyone's like, "Shut the fuck yeah. up!" And to be fair, on our Discord, I was getting in on the jokes a wee bit because he made a comment. I'll, I'll, I'll read some of these out actually. Is there going to be a doctor class? I don't know. I, d- I don't know. I just have so many questions. We don't have, have, any, so many we don't have any information yet. There's no info out, right? But That's a shame. There was already a Doctor Who RPG out that had the coolest initiative system, that's like, which was that... This okay, is their... Uh, like, they make the Doctor Who game. Like they, they, They've released recently released the second edition of it, and then now... I guess I didn't know that. They're yeah. now making a 5e... <laughs> version of it because uh, they did the same thing for the one ring and they, they made legends of lord of the rings or whatever it was and okay yeah yeah right adventures in middle adventures earth, in middle yep. earth is a legit is a, is i will say a, to for a brief shining spot of, of what is good about fifth edition adventures in middle earth is no longer in print but if you could find it yeah. i think it is probably the best version of fifth edition because it's predicated around one adventure a year they have a whole journey system from yep. from the One Ring, and it it takes the the milieu of, of Middle Earth and, and makes it fit this this yep. uh, uh, this this system. I'm going to get to uh, that. Did a good job. I'm going to get to that in a minute. We'll see how they do. I'm going to okay, get to that right. in a minute because it's, oh, it's, it's right. the same people who made that, right? It's okay. the same same outfit, cubicle seven. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a comment, and this guy's got a big Twitter thread where he's trying to remind people that you know, like, look, we're real people. Please don't be upset with us, etc. Um, okay. And fair enough, you know, like as someone who works in mental health, absolutely, I think I, th- I do think the online culture of dumping on people on Twitter publicly is is not helpful. Yeah, there, there is another a living person at the end yeah. of that uh, exchange. Um, that said. He he had. Let's see. I'm about to. I'm about to completely override any goodwill I just generated. There, there is a sentence. There is a sentence in his Twitter thread that really stood out to me, and I couldn't help but meme on it, which is quote: "I've played Doctors and Daleks, and it was a blast. It was filled with verbal jousting and quippy one-liners, and we all agreed that it really felt like Doctor Who." Which basically, right. basically, could could be said. I played I played the game and we did things that felt really Doctor Who that aren't a part of the system that we were adopting and we all agreed that it felt like Doctor Who. And then I've, I've, I've since gone on. I played Conan and Sonya's 5e and Jimmy told us what's best in life and we all agreed that it felt like Conan. I've played 00s and 7s 5e and Kim announced herself with her last, last name and then her full name and we all agreed that it felt like James Bond. 
I've played cocaine and horror 5e and Dan poked his face through his hands saying, here's Johnny. And we all agreed it felt like Stephen King. <laughs> I've played oh, insert shit. 5e clone here and we did heaps of not system or 5e related stuff. And we all agreed it felt like the thing we are enthusiastic about. <laughs> I, I, I keep going. I've played Cthulhu 5e and Phil said some racist shit and we all agree it felt oh. like Lovecraft. <laughs> I couldn't help myself, but it, like, <laughs> because of the business model that's out there, because like one of the things he mentioned mm-hmm. in this Twitter thread is that they sold 10 times as much adventures in middle earth than they did the one ring, which, okay, because right. that's why they're now, that's now, that's why they're releasing this now to be fair. Yeah. To get back to Adventures in Middle Earth, the reason it works so well, in my opinion, again, I haven't played it, I haven't read it, but I'm going to make a defense mm-hmm. by why it's a less preposterous proposition. I bet you'll nail it. Yeah. Is that <laughs> D&D is based on Tolkien <laughs> initially. <laughs> Tolkien is the seed out of which modern fantasy grew. So, of course, you could mm. then turn around and use Tolkien as a template to play Dungeons and Dragons. Doctor Who and fucking Daleks? What the fuck's that yeah, got to I do? I don't see it happening. Yeah, like, I just, I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't understand the, like, is the. I, God, like and there's a mighty like I don't well, I'm just gonna have to, to to think out loud because I know there's a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers RPG. There's like a Transformers. Dark Souls. This like there's there's a dark God, there's a Dark Souls RPG. Is yeah, it? and it's D five E five E. Yeah. Oh God. Jeez. All right, I've played Dark Souls. It's the most OSR game I've ever played. Yeah, exactly. Now I get it from a business perspective, right? Like right, the, we exactly. are we are looking at the vast majority of the hobby. If you were to go out, yeah. although I'd argue that the Avatar game Kickstarter that made $8 million would mm-hmm. argue otherwise. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. but for most... But they have a strong... Avatar might be a stronger brand than d Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and even Doctor Who for that matter. But, um, right. but like, yeah. everyone is making a D&D version of their game because it's the only way to tap into that audience. And I feel like... Mm-hmm. One, it's buying into this whole, this is a game for everybody, right? Like like all you're yeah. doing by doing that, and I think this is a dangerous thing to do as a company that makes RPGs for a living that isn't Hasbro <laughs> and Wizards of the Coast. You're convincing people they don't need to buy your fucking game. They can keep buying Hasbro's <laughs> and they'll get they'll yeah. get the same experience. Um <laughs> and it's it's I find it weird. I find this I I don't know. I, to be fair, I yeah. am someone who obviously collects RPGs. I've got hundreds of them at this point. But um, it does this whole idea of we only need one game that can do everything. And I firmly believe that Wizards, in its current iteration especially, is trying to encourage that. They pay lip service to yeah, the broader hobby. Yeah. But in reality, they yeah. want us to think of their game as the one game. and. Right, that's the they do, that's what they're doing with the whole multiverse thing. Yeah, all all settings for all people, and like I love D anD D, I do. I but it is a particular kind of fantasy, a particular kind of game, and like it's not all all things to all people. It, it can't be like I think fifth edition in particular is very amenable to reskins and just sort of quick reflavorings. Like we're not really, you know, like we're just saying it's like this. D&D does this with itself. The artificer is like that. Yeah. The artificer is, is says, wait a minute, this is, this is a whole other kind of magic user. They have 
a way to bring out the magic of objects and imbue those objects with magic. And there's all this stuff about how different it is. And then they just get spell slots and spells like everybody else. Yeah. And you're told to reflavor it. And I just like, that was really heartbroken. That was, I think that might've been the moment of fifth edition where I was like, this is not going the direction I thought I yeah. was hoping it would. And, and I think it's, it, it's very much about accessibility because having a whole new spellcaster type would make the game less accessible. Yes. Whereas having it just be the way that everybody else works, just a little different, make, makes it accessible. And I think it, it, the game is worse for it because it doesn't embrace the things that makes it unique. Yeah. Um, it, uh, and, and even its recent attempts at like trying to present adventures that are less violent or that have different ways of being like, you know, the challenges to be overcome. Like, I, I know there's, there's even something there. It's like, well, but at the end of the day, they're still playing characters where most of their abilities are geared towards this kind of fantasy combat, mm. uh, uh, you know, genre. Yeah. And yet like, what are they going to do in, in that soup when they run into these very different situations in a game and go looking for an ability to help themselves like if the play culture isn't supporting the idea that you don't don't look to your character sheet, solve problems by talking to those NPCs, figuring out what they want. Like, oh, oh, those Feywild bandits are coming after you. Like, maybe we don't roll initiative first. Maybe we see how they respond. Maybe we talk a bit. And, yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I'm, I did not know about <laughs> Daleks and Doctors and Daleks. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did not know that. I'm. I'm very. I keep going. I'm curious now. I'm very curious. As a Doctor Who fan, I'm curious. Yeah, you know, I've played Starship Five E, and Tim didn't laugh at any of our jokes, and he did that hand sign thing, <laughs> and we all agreed it felt like Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's. Oh, oh. I just you know. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it brings me to like this thing of like, the, for me, D and D is it, because it's in this peak of popularity and it, it's all these new players. It's just, I, I feel like it's, it's it, for me personally, as someone who, who like didn't start with D and D and kind of came yeah. to it later and, and really fell in love with it. and was like, yep, these parts are flaws. I'm going to do my best to make it work the way that I, I, I want and you know, whatever, except that accept it for the game that it is. I find that like my perception of the predominant play culture and how the game presents itself is one where it's like, it doesn't seem to be focused on building a base of long time. Fans. No, absolutely not. No. And people who will be, you know, yeah. you know, the, for, this is the thing they're going to be doing for the rest of yeah. their lives, which I see to me is, is very uh, important to the hobby because that's where GMs uh, come from. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it's, if the game is presented as in a very like, Hey, this is you know like you go on this little adventure. It's it's you're not really going to invest anything. It's not going to. We don't want you to get too upset while you're playing. We don't want you to worry about losing too much. Don't worry, you're going to get the fun stuff. Um, that that's how many times can you play that before you're just going to be like, I'm, you know, I don't really yeah. care about this anymore. Yeah, and I find that a shame because uh, you know I'm a lifelong. I'll be playing this till they. <laughs> they got to bury me with my <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think I think you've actually hit on something there that that's true. So, I used I worked for GW in sales back in the early two thousands. As I was a, as a teenager, <laughs> I was working weekends. Um, but at the time, we used to always talk about how our job in the store was to get in new players. There was no effort to. 
cultivate old players. There was no effort to try and keep uh, like a sustainable hobby. It was all about winning mm. over new people because there had been a survey done by marketing that figured out that a player spends as much money in their first two years in the hobby as they do in the following 10. So that initial, mm. I got to go buy the books, the excitement. I got to buy the books. Yeah. I got to buy the miniatures. Yep. I got to uh, yeah, paint yeah. as many armies as I can. Oh, these are these are new army book yeah. came out. Oh, there's shit. a fantasy version one. of this yep. game. Awesome, right? Like all of that, yeah. and that initial excitement generates as much money as the following ten years of their hobby will. Mm. So they focused on converting as many people into that two year period as they could, and. Uh, people started complaining. I remember this all throughout the 2000s. There was a lot of complaining about how the hobby wasn't looking after old players. Every time a new army mm. book came out, it had heightened up their, like they, they made the most overpowered army they could to get people excited to buy it and all that sort of stuff. And it created this real toxic sort of churn. And then GW had to do a big swing around in the last five years and has moved towards more sustaining a hobby and a community mm. because, um, yeah, you know, they were in that initial period of big booming growth and they were trying to capitalize on it as much as they could. And in the long run, it actually cost them a fair bit of reputation and image. Um, well, this would have been like around the, uh, what was it, Apocalypse? Yeah, we're or, talking like th- they tried to do like epic upwards. scale, but with the 40K yep. uh, minis. Yep, yeah. so from like third edition, 40K, so early 2000s, right through to sort of, you know, about 2010-ish, that whole mm-hmm. era was when they were really yeah. focusing on new people coming in. And I feel like D&D is probably in the same place. Because D&D does a great job of winning new people to the hobby, but I think it does a piss-poor yep. job of keeping them in the hobby and it does a piss-poor job of converting them to the broader hobby. I only think it's, as someone who creates games or works in, in the space outside of D&D, I don't think it's particularly helpful to me, apart from as a a comparison reference to, to draw upon. Um, and mm. as you say, it does inspire OSR and it inspires all this other stuff. Absolutely. But I think in terms of building upon the broader hobby, I'm not sure how useful it is. The adventurers league, like places that you can go and play awesome. But as you say, the whole thing is geared towards buy the player's handbook, buy the stuff, buy the stuff, get involved in the hobby. Yeah. We're going to keep this safe enough, long, just long enough for you to tell a few friends and get them to buy some shit. But eventually you're going to get over it because, you know, we, all you need is the player's handbook and one of our adventure books that we release every year or whatever that, that will give you a campaign yeah. to play long enough to lure in more of your friends. Um, I feel like that's the business model and I'm not sure... Yeah, how beneficial that is in the long term. Like they're not doesn't I feel like all of the broader zeitgeist building, philosophy building, knowledge building is happening outside of Hasbro itself. It's all coming from channels like yours, which are filling yeah. the holes that Hasbro well, Wizards, I should stop saying Hasbro, I'm sounding very anti capitalist. Mm. But um, <laughs> that that wizards I mean. have left in the system, right? Like yeah. uh-huh. um uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, they they really do. There there is a reason that channels like ours are are you know people watch our videos and, mm. and and we that we have an audience. Like to me, in a in a world where a game like D anD D is presented uh, in a in a better way, we don't exist because the books and the way they present themselves would be answering these questions and teaching you how to do it. And, the curious thing is, is that D and D used to do those things yeah. when D and D had its first big boom of popularity. Like those versions of D and D, the the basic editions, like the ones that the OSRs kind of built their their bedrock are 
like noted for their um, pedagogical value mm. of like teaching a dungeon master how to run a game of D and D, teaching the players, and like you just bought this book, here's and you're by yourself. It'll still teach you. Like there's a solo adventure in it that'll run you through the mechanics and how to how to uh, how to play the game, um, and then similar for dungeon master and. For me, like as someone who has always loved dungeon mastering, I find the current edition of D and D very, like, the it initially was refreshing. I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I'm 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 so glad that they're finally like taking the shackles off and like, not presenting a game where, you know, if we don't follow these very strict rules, we're somehow doing our players a disservice or something. Um, but at the same time, it's like we still uh, need rules to run the game mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, i don't want to wing everything i don't want to have to just make it up every time um and i think that's why combat becomes so central because it's a structure of the game that's it's still fleshed out that dms can lean yeah. on yeah it's fleshed out that anytime there's a lull roll initiative yeah everybody's immediately engaged <laughs> yeah and yeah everyone's got all these abilities that they've unlocked because they leveled up that they can only use in combat so create a combat for them to use the cool new shit Right, like the everyone's yeah. just reached yeah. level five. Level five is a big milestone in your advance. We have to have a big fight, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yep. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> it it creates this weird rhythm. Whether whereas I found for me, like, uh, you know, playing more classic games of D anD D, returning to those uh, earlier versions, like especially the uh, XP for gold, yes. that that really changed things and how. Um, both like when I'd run it, the kind of games that I'd get, and then when I played it, the kind of uh, play experience that I'd have. Um, mm. And in just like the various ways that they um, present adventure building or or just present the world of D&D as being a place where you have adventures and like, I don't know, like there's, it, 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 there's a rambling now because it's Go for it. uh, late yeah. but i've been <laughs> rambling like, for three years there's a sense that, <laughs> right, like, that that the elements that made dnd work the dungeon crawl uh as a tent pole for a campaign the default what you're going to do is go into this dungeon and get some treasure mm-hmm. but in my experience as both a player and uh, a, a gm in those kinds of games is that by about fourth or fifth level if you can make it that long it's it, it, it it's difficult but if you can make it that long, the game begins to grow and expand organically. And you can start to see why like hex crawls become a thing because now you're having to start navigating an environment and dealing with the wilderness there. Um, domain uh, play becomes a thing as your character gains more prominence in the world and more power, authority, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like those things emerge organically out of this dungeon crawling game because like all right, we found a bunch of items that we need identified and there's no identify spell. We have no idea how they're going to work other than the trial and error, but maybe we can track down a sage who can find it. Well, who do we know who knows where a sage is? Well, we got to go talk to this NPC. And so there's a lot more interacting with the world because you don't just get things Mm. when you level up. If you want those things, you've got to go out and seek the sages and the, the, the alchemists and, you know, visit the wilderness because you got to go to the next town over. That's where you can find someone who can provide this service. And meanwhile, you're managing a whole team of, of henchmen and retainers and the like that gradually grows with you. So that by the time you're getting a castle or would be eligible to, you're already carting around an entourage of 
torchbearers and shield carriers yeah. and loyal retainers and hired sages and bards who've gone before you to, to herald your arrival <laughs> in town. And, you know, it, it, it's a, this has happened with every one of these games that I've played long-term this, it emerges kind of organically. And what I find with modern editions is that that doesn't emerge as organically mm. as before. It, it is much more focused on action scene to action scene uh, kind of uh, gaming. To me, it's very much a play culture player preference kind yes. of thing coupled with a, how the rules present themselves. I've got, a, I've got a couple of gripes and then I know you've got some other things you want to touch on, but I'll quickly, <laughs> one of them, I think, I think yeah, for the no, modern play boy. culture of D and D talking about experience, I personally think the best experience for what they sell you as the game is um, I'm going to shout them out for the second time. Uh, Frank Redding's uh, Hypertellurians does, mm. um, have you, uh, it's a game that you can go read for free. He has it uploaded to his website and you can, um, or you can buy mm. the physical copy. You can buy the PDF, but his website has the whole game on there. Hypertellurians. It's fucking great. It's made for like raid punk style games. And he actually made it as a game mm. to do everything. His whole idea was we got sick of different systems for different games. We, I wanted to make a system that we could be blasting through space in our rocket one week. We could be running around in a fantasy world the next or whatever. And it would still kind of work. Um, as like the whole episodic style gameplay. But he has a system in that for XP, which which is amazing, in that you have to, you only get XP by spending wonder. And wonder is a meta currency that you only get by finding new wondrous things. So you have to go and find nice. a cool thing and if you do that, like, like the, yeah. the first time you land on like an, a strange alien landscape, or if you if someone does something super heroic and badass, like jumps off a cliff and stabs something through the head, that's wondrous. The first mm. time when Bilbo yeah. sees Smaug the dragon, right? That's yeah. wonder. You, that buys you mm. a meta currency that you can then spend on abilities, rerolls, things like that. And you only get XP for spending the wonder. So how do you get better in the game? Find cool shit, do cool shit, right? That's yeah. what D&D yeah. needs because D&D is trying to yeah. tell you this is a game where you go and do cool shit in cool places, right? As yeah. opposed to like yeah. some points that you gain mostly for killing monsters or if the GM decides to give you some more and... <laughs> Yeah, there's no guidelines or anything like that. And, yeah. and and like, I'm not like a whole, like, you know, I forget what they call it, Skinner's box, you know, or the, the push the button to get the taste yeah. of pellet and keep doing it kind <laughs> of. But there is something to be said. When I when I went from playing with the XP with, monster, yeah. you know, for killing monsters primarily, plus ad hoc as the GM sees it too, you get as much XP as your scrawny ass can haul out of yes. this dungeon. yeah. Like that changed the game fundamentally because XP went from something that is doled out by the GM as these preset combat encounters to a treasure, literal treasure yes. hunt of us going through this very dangerous ruin, prying up floorboards and tearing down tapestries. And when the, the XP uh, is tied to the gold piece value, you start doing crazy things like, prying up the inlaid silver that's in the demon summoning circle of the second room of the yeah. dungeon or like one, uh, one room in a, a original D and D game I played in had a mural with like all of the petrifying monsters in it. So it had Medusa, Gorgon, cockatrice and basilisk in the mural and heaps 
of gold and magic items and whatever. And the whole point of it was, was like, if you touch the mirror, everything in the mural becomes real. And so you have to like fight these four very tough monsters in original D&D, but you could get all that gold uh, if you wanted. And um, we did, we tricked them <laughs> <laughs> and it, but it took like three sessions and it in, involved nearly like all of us yeah. dying. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where when we got it, that sense of accomplishment was, was real. Yes. Um, but if you play using the XP tables f- from back then, it's going to take you years. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, to me, it's, you don't need millions of XP. Um, and I, I guess in a way I'm, I'm talking about something that I, I think is maybe one of my biggest gripes about D and D is that a lot of times the makers of D and D or the players of whatever are like, they're throwing babies out with bathwater all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's some things that aren't working and then they're getting rid of too much until we've just got this game as it exists now, which is a, just sort of, a, seems like a weird Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I do think with XP for gold, like I know a lot of people don't like it cause it's very capitalist, right? But um, it sure, does yeah. foster a gameplay that I think is more interesting. When you're, when you're up, when you're, when you're getting XP, not for killing the monster by getting the gold out from underneath it. Suddenly mm-hmm. you're thinking about how you engage with the world changes, right? Like it really does go from yeah. suddenly talking to the monster is fine. Tricking the monster is fine, right? Whatever. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. And there is others like, I, like I think of Simbroom, right? A lot of people brought up that um, with Simbroom, you get XP per scene and often, stopping and talking to the thing you encounter so they give you something else to go and do to appease them creates more scenes, creates more XP, mm. right? Like it's XP can foster a play style that's more interesting than turn up, kill the thing, keep going. Um, right. Which I yeah. think is quite... Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. I, I, I'd, not, I'd not heard that about some more but I, um, I found that like the play experience of, of classic D&D when the monsters aren't the primary source of, of XP. You'll get some, right? Um, that your entire attitude towards how how your character interacts with the world kind of changes because now adversaries you find might, they don't need to be adversaries. Yeah. Like I've had, I've had times where, you know, I, I challenged myself to play a magic user in, in uh, classic D&D because I was like, they're, they're scrawny, they get one spell at yeah. first level, have the, the worst XP tables, but I was like, I, I want to see if I can, I can do it. And, uh, I say this, that I, this is the only character I've had in original D and D because he's the only one I've, <laughs> uh, didn't die, stayed alive seventh level currently. Um, but there were plenty of times where I'd be like, all right, well, I put six of these seven, uh, dwarves to sleep and just tell the seventh when I killed their friends, right? If they doesn't do what I say, I'm going to kill him too. And like, I had another player sitting next to me who was like, your spell can't do that. It's just like, like, I'm just like, they don't need to do yeah, that. Know that. <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, they, they don't, do they know what a sleep spell's like? You know? Um, or for me, uh, what, what really changed was getting to a high enough level where my character could have invisibility. And in earlier versions of, uh, of D and D it lasts until you attack mm. something. So you're invisible for days and of, of telling the DM that I wanted to go into the dungeon by myself 
as like a third level magic user and him looking at me like I was crazy. And I was like, well, that's the only way I can get the most XP. <laughs> I have to share it with everyone else. <laughs> but I have a lot of, it takes a lot to level my character up and I have to buy a spell book every time I get yeah. new spells. I don't get them automatically. I need a lot of gold here. And then realizing that it was actually easier for me to navigate the dungeon and to, uh, you know, play this game solo than with other uh, other characters and henchmen, um, such to the extent that my character became a feature of the dungeon themselves and sort of recruited dungeon monsters to spy and attack others. And it was really fun. It, it, it was a really uh, engaging style of play because we're trying to get treasure out of this place, not uh, do a genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and you know, and the treasure we're getting is magical in and of itself. Like we weren't quite sure who was minting all these coins. Like, you know, it, it was part of the mystery. Yes. The DM really heightened up the fact that there's a near limitless supply of gold in this yeah, thing yeah. is maybe curious, yeah. you know, <laughs> maybe that's part of the problem. Do they look like dragon scales to you? <laughs> like that's kind Absolutely. of. <laughs> Do you, um, as someone who's played a magic user back in the classic version of the game, What's your thoughts on, because yeah. back then you had to memorize specific spells. Yeah. How, how yeah. do you feel about that yes. versus the new one where it's like X spell slots away you go? I, I'm not, I don't like, I'm very particular about magic when it comes to D and D. I, I don't really um, like a lot of the way they handle it in the current version because it, it, it just feels very yeah. samey. Uh, a lot of this, a lot of that comes down to like, it, it seems as though the spell lists aren't distinct mm -hmm. enough. But for me, it's like, for instance, you've got a warlock, a sorcerer, and a wizard, and they're all kind of swimming in the same conceptual pool. But the presence of the warlock means that a wizard is never contacting an extra planar entity to learn their spells. That's what a warlock yeah. does. And like, even even the kind of like the the idea that some people are born with an ability to manipulate magic and others learn it, um, you know, through study or or rote memorization. Like even separating those two things, I think is, is too much for me. And I really liked it when there's just, this is the magic mm. user and how you flavor that the spells you pick, how the specificity you as a player add to it is what's going to make it unique. And like, if you want to truck with extra planar entities and get your magic from fiends, that is a thing you have to do in yes. the game that you've got to seek that, that out. Uh, and do it. So when I was playing a wizard or a, a magic user in, um, you know, in, in basically, <laughs> a, you know, zero edition, um, you know, I was just seeking out druids and, and others, you know, part of the aspect of play for my character became developing a network of NPCs who I could go to, to learn spells mm, from mm. and my, with a charisma five character, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, um, you know, of, relying on things like the reaction table to see how they respond. And a lot of it is very transactional. So gold is this thing you're bringing out of the dungeon that's experience points, but you're constantly spending it because you're mercenaries and food and horses and, you know, fines. And we ended up, uh, our, our, the highest level character in the party lost their magic armor that allowed us to teleport around the dungeon because they went, fuck around gambling and gambled it away. <laughs> and then the, 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 uh, the, 
the NPC who won it was like, no, I'm not going to give you, you know, this back. And it just had a very freewheeling, adventurous, um, you know, tone to it that I felt the rules really supported because they were simple, they were clean. They allowed our GM to like build specifically the kind of game he was looking for. And when he was starting to get tired of us going into the dungeon all the time, we did more hex crawl stuff. And so it was a different kind of game entirely that, that we'd play. And when we got tired of that, we did other Mm -hmm. things. And when I dropped out of that game, we were just then getting into the lowest rungs of the domain game. And it was emerging organically because our characters were like, was we're seventh level. Like the dungeon is really beyond us now. Like or we're kind of beyond mm. it now. There's other things we were, that are more important for our characters. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that was a, that's a fun game to me. D and D works when it's played kind of in that style. Uh, it works really I also well. think that style where it's not, not everything's not so defined also has a slightly more mm. interesting fiction to it too. Like, I do find modern D&D has codified what we think of as different monsters and how they work and how everything's so Faerun now, right? Like, and it's, and yeah. like, like this is true of modern fantasy generally because everyone's borrowing from everyone. Like, I don't like World of Warcraft and Warcraft for the same reasons I don't like D&D yeah. when it comes to the fiction. Same. It's very... Yeah. Aesthetically, It's yeah, aesthetically same. very samey. It's very boring. It's not trying to be original. Frankly... Um, I think that was also true of some of the stuff that was happening in Warhammer in the later years before they killed it and replaced it with Age of Sigmar as it was starting to get a bit derivative. Um, now, it started very derivative, but you know, but then over time it developed its own thing and then it went back to being super derivative. Right, right. It's it's different when the when it's being derivative of something external and then like sort of satirizing it through yeah. a fantasy lens. Quite another when it's a yeah. self, becomes a self-parody of... How many how many champions of chaos can emerge from a chaos region to ravage a civilization? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or we seal this thing up and they stop coming out. So yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So like, I, I do sort of find that like, for me anyway, like D and D fantasy just feels very beige. Um, whereas like yeah. the older stuff back then, the sky was the limit. And also, when you look at fantasy from the eighties, it was fuck like 80s and 70s the shit coming out back then like willow and um you know mm. what's that, that dark crystal and shit like that and labyrinth it was yeah. fucking out the gate shit like people are on lsd writing this yeah. stuff and everything you could tell um and it wasn't codified it wasn't this common language that we have now which i guess makes it least accessible but i so much more interesting mm. especially from a creative perspective as someone who's trying to create something, the sky is literally the limit. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Whereas now the D is yeah, how many, yeah. how many monster books in D and D you just, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was like four now, like from the core team and no telling how many, uh, that are, uh, uh, third party of many of which I've contributed monsters to. Yeah. So, you know, but like, I always try to contribute monsters that like, are ones that your characters would never find. So the last one I did was like this monster called a hinderling, which is the lowest level of monster you can get. And the only thing it does is prevents you from getting advantage. It does a bunch <laughs> of other things to just make your life miserable. <laughs> but you also like the only way to get rid of it is to go to the hag that cursed you and do so, do a favor for, or convince the hinderling to go take on someone else. Like just go, go mess with this other person, go send it away. 
with like a beer. Like I wanted a character, I wanted a monster that was like, your characters can fight it, but it keeps coming back. It's got like five hit points. If they even look at it, it's going to die, but it'll be back tomorrow and the day after and the day after. Cause you can't kill this thing with your yeah. sword. You've got to like either send it after someone your character genuinely hates or go make a deal with a hag. <laughs> you know, like, so I, that's how I run D and D. That's great. Yeah. To take those things that players expect and then go, no, that's not how it's going to work. There's a, um, no, you don't have your armor on. No, why would you? Have your armor on? <laughs> exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. There's this, um, adventure, the OSR adventure called black worm of Brandon's Ford. Um, I rate it. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I've, I've run half of it. We, for my partner, just one-on-one and my favorite, like early on you have to, there's, they were in the small little town, Brandon's Ford, and there's two inns and one inn reckons the other one's sabotaging him because the alcohol keeps going missing. And it turns out there's this, this little leprechaun thing that comes in and drinks the alcohol. And it's an original old oh. school, like D and D thing. I forget what it's called. Um, but all it does is drink alcohol and it's up to and you just have to get mm. rid of it that's all you have to do is get rid of it like how you do that is up to you um, and uh, you cast it casts invisibility on itself and goes in there so you're in there watching and the door opens and closes on its own and then it comes down and then you see beer pouring out of the keg and disappearing into thin air what do you do um, great encounter and I, I feel like mm. we need more of that sort of weird little shit you know? yeah just weird yeah weird little stuff and, I, and, and to me like when D and D is at its best, when 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 they're when it's like this is this is the good vanilla, mm. right? When it's when it's not boring, bland beige, but is rich, flavorful yeah. vanilla. Nevertheless, vanilla. you know, mm. like when it's good, because um, vanilla's good yes. when it's good, you know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and like it's it is it's it's playful. It's out to kind of mess with you. It's there for the sort of element of myth and discovery, but it is also very much like, this is about an adventure. What would you do? There's a leprechaun drinking our beer and that will not stand. What do you do? Uh, I, and like, because D and D is so many, is so many players like gateway RPG for D and D to not support that kind of play style and to, and to really kind of support a very like mechanics forward and very combat focused play style is like really, and it's part of that, like not really growing the hobby yeah. um, that we were talking about earlier, because what happens when those players go on to other games and try to play way, or, yeah. or find, you know what I mean? Like the DM finally gets their way and is like, okay, I, like they, they will actually, they'll play a one shot of Delta green yeah. finally. You know, but if they go in playing Delta Green like they do D and D, they're just gonna have a one shot. That's it. That's like, happened to me. <laughs> I you know, like one of my players. You know? His cousin uh, was listening to some of the podcast. He uh, he used to actually watch me on Encounter Roleplay, um, and he really wanted to come play with us. He used to play roleplay games when he was a kid. He used to play D and D when he was a kid. And cousins like you gotta get you know like yeah my mates like you gotta get my cousin involved. Man, he really wants to play a game. I was like I tell you what, I'll run mothership for you guys there's this cool dead planet it's a three mm. adventure campaign it's really cool they didn't get past the first one because this guy's like oh big space horror i've got a grenade i'm gonna throw my grenade at it and then oh. everything just escalates like dramatically escalates yeah. till it's like a tpk because he was like oh and I, the thing is i said to them right at the start I'm like this so you know this is an our style game Survival is not guaranteed. It is not balanced. It is not fair. The creators of this game say that you can save yourself, you can solve the problem, or you can 
uh, save the day, I think it is, pick two. You know, <laughs> like you can <laughs> you can save, yeah, yeah. solve, or whatever the other <laughs> one is. Pick two. Um, Get paid. It's like save, solve, survive, I think. Pick two. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's like, um, and, and, and that didn't sink in. They were like, oh, I can just fight this thing because this is, I'm a yeah. character, I've got weapons, I've got all this, and the only experience was D&D where... D&D, a first adventure, the very first start of a campaign, wouldn't throw you into that? Like, especially not contemporary D&D? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Your first level D&D is still very dangerous, uh, but but most of the advice out there is to get your first combat over with quickly, have it be a, a an easy one, and uh, let him get their requisite XP to, to brush past first level, which to me is one of my favorite yeah. levels of D&D because it is so fraught, because one hit can, can take yep. me out. And like every conflict that I, that, and this is, to me, this is the key that I choose to get involved in every violent conflict is a risk. And I think the play style of a lot of modern D and D players don't get to choose when they have battles, battles are foisted upon them. Um, and that there's also a kind of an expectation of, of like, well, we, we shouldn't push against it too much because the DM has prepared this thing. We don't want to mess with their, uh, you know, prep and this is why so much about web DM has been like letting go of that play style of saying that like, you know, as, as a personal journey for me, I craved that epic story yeah. narrative arc style of play for years. And it, it, it eluded me because I, I was, I was pursuing it too hard and it wasn't until I just gave up <laughs> and was running these more open world, let the players take the mm. lead kind of games which original D and early versions of it really support um then that's when i realized like oh well this will emerge organically because the players are pursuing what they want and following their goals and therefore there will be a narrative in, yeah. in hindsight uh that's very satisfying and like the fact that the the tools that the the game gives you to support that make for a varied gameplay so that like fights are different. Sometimes fights start and you're like right on top of each other and have both surprised mm. each other. And it's like knives out just three or four rounds of brutal, bloody combat. And then others, it's like, well, you heard them coming a long way off and you have a chance to ambush them. And all of that variability vitalizes the game and keeps yeah. it fresh. And the more predictable style that's, that's modern, the more like, well, these are, these are uh, encounters that are balanced, pre prepackaged. They're, you know, you're, you're supposed to have rested between every other one or whatever, you know, it's, it's just, it flattens the experience to the point that it's like, I just, I, the one game I want to play every day for the rest of my life and the other, I got about three hours <laughs> in me before I'm done. Um, <laughs> so before we started recording this, but you had a list yeah. of things you wanted to talk about. I don't know how many of them, I don't know how oh, many sure, of them we've yeah. touched upon. Is there anything else you, you think is important that we go into? We've hit on we've hit on a lot of them uh, that that I was uh, hoping to touch on. Um, for me, I think one of the things that we haven't really talked a lot about is is that what is what is it that's worth taking away from D and D, and like you know it, it, it takes other games using your other games kind of thing. Um, and for me, I don't really have much in the, that's modern <laughs> from the like the you know the current incarnation. Other than maybe advantages. Advantage and encounter roles. I'm assuming most people. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's right, the advantage in the counter rolls. And the counter rolls are an old thing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, for my list of stuff to take away from are like reaction rolls yeah. and all the, the whole encounter yeah. setup of like distance and surprise and all of that uh, is is missing. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, D and think, you know, was when they, when they said to DMs, like, this is your story. It's in your hands. Go for it. Like, okay, that's fine. Thank you. Uh, there are some times that I would like to not have to make yes. a decision. hundred yeah. percent. Right. Like there's, and, and relying on the dice as oracles. Oh, this time these orcs are arguing with each other and are totally not prepared. And you could get the drop on them if you want. This time they're coming back laden with treasure in high spirits and on alert. No way you're going to get the drop on them. Like, as opposed to just roll initiative, we've got the battle mat set up. Here's where they start. Here's where you start. You yes. know, kind of skirmish war game. Um, that variability is... Also, like, the fiction that games. comes from an encounter roll. If you encounter... Mm-hmm. Let's say, like, someone's rolled a random encounter and then they roll a reaction roll. If you encounter something mm-hmm. that should be able to have you for lunch but they've react because of the dice they've reacted mm-hmm. fearful of you what does that mean mm-hmm. like what what the, what, what do they yeah. know that makes them scared to see you out here like what are they doing is it are they running away from something and now that they're afraid that you're going to slow them down like if yeah if you come across something that should walk over you and they see you and they're terrified what does that mean Vice versa, if you come across a couple of goblins that should be scared shitless and they run at you with abandon, what does that mean? Clearly they've got some friends around. Like they, they've got something is going on. Yeah. If they think they can take you, that kind of confidence sees something, right? Like um, there's, yeah. there's so much seeds there. Like I'm a, I'm a firm believer in like, you know, random generations, especially playing like when you're playing a world, not a story. And, and like as a GM, like I think – being able to discover the story yourself and think think fast on your feet with these roles um, is great. Yeah. And that's especially where like the reaction role is like the genesis of so much of that. This is like it's such a is a such a um oh, what's the word I'm looking for? We use it all the time. It's um elegant. It is such an elegant solution mm-hmm. to what yeah. what happens like it's really like if, if you have someone who's charismatic or if you're dealing with a faction that should be aligned with you ish when they see you you just you just mm-hmm. wait to the table one way or the other you just have the dice be a plus three a negative yeah. three whatever roll the dice you know yeah um yeah it doesn't take much it works it so take well much at all yeah yeah, I mean, it's it it is the I mean it's the basis for Powered yep. by the Apocalypse yep. games yep. like it it as a <laughs> that uh, the little two d six, and the thing is is like once you it is one of those mechanics that once you've internalized it it is infinitely useful. So the the standard reaction role has five categories like you know attack violently, uh, unfriendly, neutral, friendly, and then like best mm. buds kind of thing. And those those ends are at the twelve and the two, and then the others are kind of divided between. But if you start messing with the categories and what they mean, and like one of the ones I've seen that was really interesting was taking like the medieval humors, right, sanguine, melancholic, etc., and mapping those to four different types of reaction tables, so that like melancholic creatures react 
in a certain sort of way, whereas sanguine creatures react That's another cool. kind and Billy yeah. is certain. Or like having your god responses from your deity uh, be like that, so that anyone who prays by Krom, you know, you know, let me see victory today, you can throw a quick 2d6 and does your god hear you and do they see, do they look favorably yeah. upon you know, this, this, uh, this brief prayer, like there's so many things you can do with it. But to me, the, the primary thing of what of the benefit of it is, is that it varies up the encounter setup so that you have a, a whole world of possibilities open to you um, because it's not automatic yeah. combat. And there's a chance to talk, to learn something, to, to deal with factions and pit those orcs against those goblins. Yes. You know, surely those kobolds want, would love to have the support of some strapping humans uh, in their in their war against the lizards. Absolutely, folk. surely they would be. Willing it's, to, and it becomes you know, like emergent <laughs> gameplay, right? Which is, mm. I think, the, the, like it's great. I know there was a um. Yeah. I, I have a quick, quick sidetrack. I just want to talk about last night. Last <laughs> night playing. This is not yeah, yeah. quite the same, but you made me think of it when you talked about praying to Crom. Uh, playing RuneQuest last night. <laughs> Um, there's this monster that burrows through the ground and one of the characters in a previous fight had made themselves berserk with magic. So they were pursuing it. They could only attack. They couldn't defend. They were pursuing it through the ground. And this particular character is a worshiper of Babesta Gore, which is a death goddess, a death and earth goddess, um, uh, based on, I've suddenly forgotten the name, the Indian goddess that, um, of death, uh, who carries around body parts hanging off her and stuff and has axes. Kali. Kali, that's the one. But Besta Gore is very similar to Kali, and this is an initiate of her cult. So they're full of, like, magical rage. It's a rune spell, so the god themselves has put a part of them inside them. They're running through this tunnel trying to find this thing that's disappeared into the darkness. And um, to find it... This, then also this character's backstory is that they've got doubt about their religion. They, like they've when they did their life path generation, there was a, f- a few too many times they had lost fights. They started thinking mm-hmm. that Babista Gore didn't have their best interests at heart, and that they yeah something was going on there. So they're having this moment where they have to choose what way to go in the tunnel. They're in the dark, they can't see anything, so they roll on their death rune and they get a really good roll. So I'm like, you feel compelled to go in this direction, right? Like mm-hmm. you're you know, you feel that death is that way. So they're like, that's a sign from my God. They go down there and then the enemy, the monster, and they're on their own. The rest of the party's back behind them somewhere else. The monster just gets critical attack after critical attack Ooh. and they and they fumble after fumble and they get they get messed up. Their leg gets bitten off and then they end up being swallowed by this monster and they have to roll to see if they stay awake. Um, they fail, so they go unconscious as the monster swallows them. Right, and in RuneQuest you have a divine intervention rule where before you die or at any moment where you want to call upon your god you can and it has permanent cost and it's a very small chance of success but if you succeed your god intervenes and whisks you away so they go to roll their divine intervention and it is an abysmal roll their god isn't <laughs> even looking in their direction. So that has now created a narrative because their, their character ended up being saved because in, in RuneQuest there is resurrection. So the, the party was able to track down the monster and cut cut them out, their body out, and they were all heavily disfigured from like you know the um, stomach acids of this monster and things like that. And they've taken the character back to get resurrected, but the player's talking about like, what does that mean? Death compelled yeah. them in a certain direction. They went there and met their own death. 
Like, yeah. what does that mean for their relationship with, like, the god? The god had no interest in saving them. Like, yeah. yeah like That's some uh, interesting stuff. Like, you could yeah. really do something with some, just the outcome of that. And, like, even if it's just, like, the player thinking about it and, and sort of changing mm. their outlook. Like, that is such a, a more, like, rich and interesting experience than something similar where where you're, like, you're not going to come out of this situation all messed up and scarred and... Yeah. And like doubting your God because you use your ability and it's guaranteed to work unless, you know, it's like the ability worked, maybe the creature made their save or something. But like, I, this is a, a brief, very brief kind of like aside about it. Cause there's a moment in the critical role cartoon that I've been watching. Cause oh, yeah. I've considered it where it's like, I, how can my God, will they protect me? I'm like, are they playing D and D? Cause they don't, clerics don't have this problem in D and D. They know <laughs> their, their prayers are answered because yeah. they have spell slots that fuel them. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah. So that I love that uncertainty. That's an awesome story, and I can't help but think that my, you know, my my favorite game at the moment is Pin Dragon. Uh, is I absolutely love it. I'm yes. really looking forward to the new one that's coming out uh, soon. I hope. But the fact that RuneQuest and Pin Dragon are made uh, by the same person has not escaped me. Uh, yes, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> like that's one thing I, I also am angry about D and D at is that. Thanks to D and D, Greg Stafford isn't our granddaddy. It's Gygax. Yes, yeah, yeah. From, I would take Greg over Gary. I'd have day. Stafford any day, um, <laughs> any day of the week. Seems like a great, great uh, human being, and has created some amazing games. Uh, rest his soul. <laughs> yes. But, um, but yeah. The, to get back to Dungeons and Dragons, uh, yes, 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 <laughs> like yes, yes. similarly to reaction rules, I find morale is one of those things that has fallen out. Uh, of, mm. of Dungeons and Dragons is presented as a variant rule in buried in the DMG. Um, but to me, morale is critical to avoiding the game becoming a combat skirmish game. Because if that group of goblins who you clearly outmatch stick around until every last one of them is dead, then, then you're going to get the kind of outcomes that you do. But if the first time one of them goes down, they try to bolt because they realize that they're in some, you know, hot water, that's a different outcome. And I think it creates a different kind of game. And there's a play culture of like, <clears throat> okay, if we've collected prisoners, now we somehow have to start torturing them because I guess yeah. we're Americans or something, you know, uh, and, <laughs> right. and uh, you know, or, or they're going to run away and bring back their allies and it's going to be an even worse fight. And like, I find that those are those are like hallmarks of adversarial DMing and and of, of like I try to tell my players like if an enemy runs away you've defeated them like they might come back later yeah but unless it's a special circumstance like you can assume that that you you have scared them enough or or taken the fight out of them enough that they're not coming back they mm. you know it, something might happen down the road but they don't you don't have to expect an immediate reprisal um because what I found with, with using morale was that players are bloodthirsty and that if they say, if they see enemies running they're they are just going to chase after them until they die. And so I had to tell the players like, Hey, they're going to run because they're trying to save their life. Like they're not going to get allies. Yeah. It's not, it's not about to make things worse. This is, and if you're lawful good, over. what does this mean? This is the other yeah. thing of like, are you really going to chase that down? Then we're going to have a conversation about your alignment. Yeah, that's you know. <laughs> and again, I mean, I'd argue that the, the current edition of the game encourages that in the whole like you get a free attack of opportunity if someone flees. 
So yeah. the game's yeah. implying, well, I mean, fuck it. It's a it's a guilt free, care free, fat free mm-hmm. swing at the enemy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you yep. Know? Swing at the enemy. If they make the mistake of disengaging, you can just catch up with them next round because they won't get far enough away to really move. And yeah, yeah. I, I I usually don't play with those. And and if the players or someone signal that they're trying to run away, then the fight's over. We go out of initiative order, and we we're now in a different. We're now using yes. a different part of the rules. Um, but, but I think morale checks are one of those things that like, I, I, I realized that as a DM, I couldn't change my players yeah. that they were going to play the game, however they were going to play, but that I could always portray my world consistently and my NPCs consistently. And when I started portraying my NPCs as valuing their own lives, running away when, when it was going against them, it took a while, but mm. eventually the players caught on that these were not, um, you know, just like paper dolls that they're meant to beat up, but are part of this like world we're pretending is real for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, another thing I know talking about stuff that we'd change or what we'd do about modern D and D, it just occurred to me that we haven't actually spoken much about weird wastelands. And before mm. we started recording, you were talking about how you recreated the Ugh. pillar of exploration. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> for for the sake of people at home, I think we should talk about Weird Wastelands a bit. I just want to say oh, that yeah. what I appreciate about Weird Wastelands is it is, appears to be, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it does appear to be at least an attempt at capturing the vibe and feel of Dark Sun um, without it being like all the other attempts at Dark Sun recently, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, like gore porn, grim porn sort of. Y- yeah. Because don't get yeah, me wrong, yeah, I, I love the elements of Dark Soul. I fucking love Dark Soul. Sure. But at the same time, Dark Soul is definitely a product that wouldn't be made today. <laughs> the way no, that no. the way that it currently exists. Um, no, no, it would not. Uh, it would. It would not. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a reason it's it's not been. Uh, yes. Yeah. Back out, but uh, yeah. I, so for me, Dark Sun is like I I like the idea of it. I spent a, most of my summers and a great deal of my life living on the edge of the desert. I yes. love deserts. They're dry. <laughs> they're they're not, <laughs> you know. And uh, if there's mountains nearby, they're usually quite pleasant uh, to be in. Um, and so I just there's something about deserts, particularly like the American Southwest and like the painted mesas and um, the Sonoran desert that i that really resonate with me. Um, and so like dark suns are a, one of those, D and D settings that I've never played in, never had a chance to run in, but that I've absorbed a lot of. And so mm. this is sort of me taking the parts of it that I found interesting and, and creating something different out of that. And for me, what was interesting about dark sun is that magic has a cost. And it was yeah. like the first time I encountered a D and D where I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just casting a regular spell. I have to pull hit points from the people around me. Yep. Like if they're like, how did they, how, why would they adventure with me? <laughs> you know? And uh, so I went with a different direction. Weird wastelands is, is, has an implied setting uh, that's, that's kind of based on my home campaign. Uh, my home campaign land between two rivers is very much like a, my reaction to D and D. So it's, I got rid of all the humans or elves, dwarves or uh, dwarves, elves, all the traditional yes. races. And so it's just goblins, orcs, uh, some drow who live on the surface because I was like, I kind of feel like it's time to uh, showcase these uh, player ancestry options as central to a fantasy setting. Yep. Um, that, that they're not like 
given center stage, it's always the same three because of Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. And so uh, I just punished my setting with multiple apocalypses, apocalypses until it was unrecognizable and magical. And that's where a lot of weird wastelands comes from. Um, but then in, in terms of the uh, exploration pillar, we pretty much made a mini game out of traveling around a hex map, which um, produces results whenever you try to say, go like, you know, look for water or scavenge mm. for parts that you need to repair a, a, a magical vehicle construct or something um, that we didn't want in. We didn't want boring failures. So if you pass those rolls, you get what you're looking for, you know, and mm -hmm. we use a uh, resource die from black hack uh, inspired by black hack and uh, inventory slots inspired by Troika to like simplify those parts of, of uh, in resource management. But like, if you fail your hunting role, it doesn't, isn't just that you fail your hunting role. It presents you with a scene prompt that gives you a chance to make a decision because for me, Everything about D&D &D and role-playing uh, traditional RPGs is about that context, choice, consequence cycle yes. of yep. this is the context we're in, make a choice, this is what the outcome. And D&D &D has done a very bad job for many editions of having the wilderness adventure part lack real choice and real consequence. <laughs> and so what we were trying to do is like, listen, the food you need to make sure you don't starve at the end of the day is now being consumed by a horde of demons that emerged from the wasteland. You have a chance to do something about that. Um, what do you do? Yeah. And then we give simple, quick resolutions uh, for those things um, so that it just produces something interesting. It's not always pleasant, but hopefully it's not boring. Um, and then we couple that with a uh, overloaded encounter die so that when you roll that d6 something is going to happen whether it's an encounter an ominous sign some sort of discovery and then all of that has been aimed towards feeding you back information about the part of the wasteland that you're in so that it's worth it to go rooting around and kicking around places um, when you want to do this right yeah. like it's just another tool in the toolbox for when you want to make an adventure of exploring a dangerous wasteland and you don't, you just run it like you normally do, which is travel montage or something like that. You know? It is, but it is, we're like light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it sounded like it's uh, been a little hard work. It, ha it, it has been, it's taken, it's taken uh, longer than expected. It's been a real learning experience, but it's, I, it is going to be something that if you're familiar with 5e will be very different, um, but hopefully very fun for you. Um, so that's, that's what we wanted. And there's laser guns in it. Like you can have like a self-transforming magical construct vehicle while you're firing lasers at each other across a magic desert. <laughs> like that's the kind of D and D I like playing. Yeah. Saturday morning action cartoon D and D. Yeah. I, I remember I uh, land between two rivers, the stream yeah. watching caught a couple of episodes of that. And, um, it did strike me as something that you could, you know, like would it would, it would be cool to play with, um, I can imagine it being very yeah, fitting Troika particularly quite mm -hmm. well. It's yeah, got that sort yeah. of Troika-esque yeah. vibe to it. Um, I, I wrote up a, a full D66 table of, of Lambert River Troika backgrounds just because <laughs> I was like, I, I went off on a bender one day. But uh, And writing Troika backgrounds is fun. But Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, I love Troika. Yeah, Troika would be a really good fit for it. because yeah. I like the post-apocalyptic genre. I don't like depressing shit. 
And so I find post-apocalypse that doesn't focus on how bleak everything is and is more about building a new civilization uh, out of the ashes of the old, uh, which sucked anyway because they caused the apocalypse, yeah. uh, <laughs> is is what's uh, fun about it. See, it's interesting. I'm, I'm the opposite. I've actually – I've got like a – a like a very recently a week or two ago i've started a google doc where i'm writing down all of the things i want to incorporate to hack mothership for a post-apocalyptic game and i want to make it like the road i want it to be mm-hmm. like the stress mechanic is tied around how bleak and abysmal your chances of survival are and everything yeah, gets yeah. this gets worse and worse and worse but again <laughs> that's because i'm 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 a um I'm just a sucker for punishment. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever read uh, Black Sun Death Crawl? No. It's it's no. an OSR module, I think, for DCC, Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, that I picked up at one convention. It's a doozy. It's it's a real bleak uh, module, uh, but uh, it's it's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. The, the post-apocalyptic game I really want to play that is not D&D. I think it's Twilight. Uh, what, Twilight 2000? Twilight 2000, or, yeah. Yeah, Twilight 2000. Uh, I I'd, I'd miss the Kickstarter for that one. Uh, I want to run. I, I really want to run set up. I fucking the setup for it. If you ever need a player, I would be very happy to participate. Absolutely, like, so it's been something which I've considered doing online. Um, on because apparently the Foundry module for it's really good. Um, mm-hmm. at, at this stage, my players from my home group have voted that we play that after we finish our current Call of Cthulhu campaign. Oh, cool. Um. But I really want to give it a go. What I want to do, if I do play it at home, I'm going to play it so that the player characters start off as members of my old unit. So it's like mm. you are, you know, one Royal New Zealand Infantry Regiment, you know, <laughs> first <laughs> battalion, um, choose a company, but Victor Company or Support Company will get the fuck out. Um, and we're gonna, <laughs> and you, you've been stationed in Europe for two years and you want to get home. And by the way, this is what's just happened. Um, but yeah. I would absolutely love to run it properly again for that whole recovering from yeah like use a bit of my own experiences within life to try and make the the military elements of it feel a bit more sort of authentic but um mm-hmm. i'd, I'd mm-hmm. love to play that game mate. it'd be so good that'd be that'd be really fun yeah that's really cool i i find that like the post-apocalyptic genre which is which is um you know very much uh what weird wastelands is 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 one of my favorites because it's like the resource shortages every there's nothing you can't just like go to the store or mm. expect the authorities to show up or like you're on your own. You have what you have. It's, it's such an adventuresome yes. <laughs> setup yep. that, that it works for a lot of things. Really love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I'm, I'm going to, I keep thinking about investigating that fucking foundry module, but um, you've got, you got me thinking about it again. We'll have to, we'll have to make it, have a look at it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So at this point we've, we've smashed through a second, two hours. Someone just yeah. said to me yesterday, Hey, I really appreciate how the new format's shorter. I was like, oh, yeah, uh, well, I'm interviewing, I'm talking to someone tomorrow. We'll see about that. Um, so, hey, um, I just want to say thank you for coming on. Um, it's it's been great Pleasure. to talk to you again. Um, and yeah, I'm uh, everyone who's listening. Obviously, at the end of each of these episodes, I'm going to tell you where you can go and find all of all of Jim's bits and pieces. Is there anything in particular you want to direct listeners to uh, beyond the links that we've already got for you to share below? Hmm. I, there I any- think I, I think everything was that. Um- yeah, I, I this is one of those things where I, I'm like, I don't know that there is, but I'll. Be well, what about certain. some last sagely <laughs> advice for um, yes. 
for people who are listening to this. Maybe maybe they're one of the, the one in ten people out there who hasn't gotten into D&D and they're thinking, you know what, this yeah. this gym guy's got me thinking maybe D&D's not so bad. Um, yeah, yeah. I would say this, like D&D, if, if, you, if you're looking to to make it work for you, understand that it is a toolkit to make your own fantasy adventure game. That it is not a complete game in and of itself. I don't think it ever has been. It requires you to put in those details mm. and it's worth it, right? Like for your totem barbarian to, to have to do a little work for that, that benefit that they're going to get whenever they rage or for your bard who's trying to learn a spell that's, that's different for them to have to do a little work. And I think to resist the urge to make it too easy or to just hand over what the players are looking for and to make an adventure of what they want, um, not as a way to prevent them from getting it, but like as a way to have an adventure and, and to have something um, fantastic and exciting happen. I think that if you're going to run D and D for the first time, remembering that because the, the system as it exists now, doesn't really do a lot of that for you. Um, and, and really kind of presents a world where the players get to have a lot of this fantastic, uh, magical uh, sort of abilities by virtue of just the, the stuff they selected. And I think just putting a little obstacle, making it a little uh, tied to the world and, and making it uh, specific to your game is the beginning of how you really make D and D work for you to, to make it very specific to you because all the best D and D settings that have, that have done well and gone on and, and are like hallmarks of D and D have that quality of taking this sort of, game that has a very generic kind of flavorless presentation of, of sort of generic adventurers doing adventurous things. And then it makes it very specific to that setting. I said, Greyhawk does it. Forgotten Realms does it when it's good. Eberron <laughs> does it. Uh, and there is good Forgotten Realms. Like it's, there's a reason it is as, as popular it is, but um, a lot of it's uh, hot garbage, um, <laughs> you know, that's what that is my advice to make it specific to you and your group because otherwise it's very bland um and to treat the game world that you're playing sort of uh, seriously because that's that's ultimately the point mm. of the rules of the game mm. yeah. yeah that's some good advice good. <laughs> my advice is to um i don't know go drive through rpg and play anything else <laughs> I mean, the, listen. Like, it's not like D and D needs new people no. uh, to play it. So, <laughs> also, there is hope for those groups out there who are trying to get their players to try something other than D and D. Yeah, there is hope. Keep trying. One shots. Wear them down. Send them texts of the pictures of the game in the middle of the night. Uh, anonymously, obviously, um, you know, you, you make whatever sacrifices and prayers to whatever dark gods you need to, you will get to play a game other than D and D one day. Have hope. What works with my group, although to be fair, my group's used to changing games, but what works with my group is whenever they turn up, like Julia jokes about Liam's um, show and tell when, when people arrive, I show them my new books and like, I'm like, Oh, this turned up in the post since we last played a week ago. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, Oh fuck, this looks good. That's That's, that's why that's the whole reason Twilight 2000s on the playlist. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Show them the new shiny. And if in <laughs> doubt, you know, Hey, look, there's always doctors and Daleks coming out. Play that. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, put six stats and roll a D 20. <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, thanks again, Jim. Uh, really appreciate having you My come pleasure. on. 
no doubt we'll have you on in the future. Looking forward to hearing what people think about this. And uh, yeah, I'm going to crack into the outro. And there we go. That concludes our two episodes talking uh, with Jim this month. It's been great having him on. We had him on back in the early days of the podcast. And um, oh, it's always good. He's a, he's a good yarn. Really easy. Um, super easy to get lost for a long time talking to him. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting getting to sort of dig into what we do and don't like about the world's biggest role play game. Uh, but yeah, yeah. If you want to hear a bit more, though, you know, perhaps perhaps you know, sort of just shy of four hours isn't enough. Um, we also did a Q and A for our patrons every month. Our patrons get a Q and A where they can send through questions for myself and our guest host and. We answer them and they go up. So towards the end of this month, our patrons are beginning a Q&A. If you want to get into that, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Toa Tabletop. That would be awesome. Just go in there, get subscribed at the right tier. Can't go wrong. What I want to do though, what I want to hear, what I want to know uh, is what do you all think of D&D? Now, our existing community... I have a pretty good idea what most of them think. It's, it's no secret that most uh, most of our fans aren't big fans. But, um, you know, I, I know there's a few closeted D&D players out there and no doubt there are people listening to this who um, who aren't necessarily closeted. That's not part of our community. Why don't you come and join our community and let us know? You can do that at www.toatabletop.com where we have a link to our Discord, which is our sort of home of the community. We've got a great community there. They're really good in depth. I'll talk to you for hours about tabletop RPGs. If you want a place to go where you can really sort of get together with people, get to know what other people are up to, get involved with some other games, I highly, highly recommend coming along. Our next guest host, turning up in a couple of weeks' time, is someone that a few of you may know and a few of you may not um, her name is Pam, uh, or Pamu over on Twitter, um, from the Dove Taylor, uh, sort of brand that you get around. She's the author of a whole bunch of games. She's worked on a lot of sort of big things out there. She's worked with Starfinder, The Spire, The Islands of Sinauma, um, a whole, a whole lot. This, this woman's, you know, prolific and is awesome real awesome and she's coming on so we can sort of discuss what it's like being involved in the rpg industry when you're from a part of the world that isn't necessarily what most people think of when they think of the you know dnd rpgs etc so we're shifting from dnd a very hyper american focus and we're moving to the philippines here and talking to pam and getting to know what she's up to but also getting an idea of what's going on with the rpg scene community right C meaning Southeast Asia, an amazing community of people who have managed to take a geographical disadvantage and turn it into a massive strength and a, you know, and a really thumping community. It's amazing what these people do. So Pam's coming on to talk about that. I can't wait. Pam and I have been sw swimming in similar pools for a while online, and it's good to finally get to talk to her. Like, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm actually recording that in a few days' time, and then you'll all get to hear it in a few weeks' time. So, can't wait. Should be good. Should be good. 
anyway, um, one final thank you to Jim and WebDM. Thanks for coming on, Jim, and also thank you to WebDM for distributing and hosting our content now. We would have been lost without you. Uh, and a big thanks to Danheim who provides our music that we use at the start and end of every episode. Instead of that cool Viking thing that, you, that you're going to hear very shortly. Um, that's Danheim. He lets us use his music um, and it's hugely valuable. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's enough of me. You've been listening to me for a while now. I'm going to shut up, sign off, and let you get back to it. See you in a couple of weeks. Haerera. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.